Welcome back to the Human Exception. In case it has somehow passed your notice, or you were thrown off by the excessive amount of Christmas decorations that are already available, it is October. And October is ADHD Awareness Month. And there are a few things that I love to talk about more than ADHD, because it's something that I deal with every day as a person with ADHD. I'm so excited to get to talk about this disorder and to dispel many of the common misconceptions and myths around ADHD, because probably one of the least understood disorders when it comes to the general public. If you have been around here, you know how we work, expect some foul language, but since this is a topic about mental health, be ready for conversations and examples of what it's like to struggle with this disorder. They will also be a mention or two of an abusive relationship that I was in for five years. Nothing too detailed, but there is topics about gaslighting and the predisposition for women, especially with ADHD, to find themselves in unhealthy relationships. I should note that none of us are medical professionals of any form. While I live with my disorder, and it's one of my favorite hyperfocuses, I'm still a flawed human being, and I strongly recommend looking deeper into this topic if it's something that impacts you or someone you love. There will be plenty of resources on our website, thehumanexception.com, to get you started, so feel free to check that out, and you can find the link to that in the description below. Let's get ready for another Human Exception. on a robot about a week and a half ago how was it uh not bad actually oh, that's I, good yeah my o2 was a little low so they didn't let me go home that day mm-hmm. but um it was like two points off of where they wanted it to be um and i woke up like i i had all this i still kind of do i had all this phlegm in my throat And half of my tongue was numb, so that was fun. Oh. I have never never had my tongue bruised before. No. Uh, That's weird. Yeah. yeah, They were like, oh yeah, sometimes that happens with the breathing tubes when you're under. I'm like, really? Because I've been under a few times and this is new. (laughs) Excuse me while we bruise your tongue. Yeah. So yeah, all good. I just have four little four little incisions. It's kind of dope, actually. Oh, Cordy, your switch is so cute. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I love that. It's going to be all pink, but um, Jake has to do it for me because my fingers can't handle the tiny the tiny parts. Oof. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. But um, my eventually it'll be all pink on all the covers and then I have a pink screen protector so that the black part around the screen will also be pink. Fun. Yeah. I love that. It's lots of fun. Just in time for me to be like, oh you know what? I really think I want to get a steam deck. <laughs> yeah. I have so many PC games. It just makes sense. <laughs> all right how am i sounding now 
Good? Good. You you blipped just for a sec, but... Well, hopefully that's all. <laughs> hopefully that's the only thing, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Alright. I realized that none of you knew me before my diagnosis. No. Mm-mm. Oh. I'm just so used to like people being in my life around that time. And I was like thinking back, I'm like, no, I didn't even know Nathan then. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Are we ready to do this? Yep. Yes. Yes. Maybe? Okay. The year was 2015 and I was 24. I was working at a call center for a major Canadian telecom and I'd been there for four years. My career up until that point had been just a bunch of entry-level jobs. You see, I had done well in school, sometimes. I either excelled in a class or I did miserably, but I usually managed to stay on the honor roll with minimal studying. I had planned to be an artist anyway, with big dreams of becoming a mangaka, which is a Japanese comic book author like the little weeaboo that I was, and every 14-year-old that I knew at the time. I was going to move to Japan, and who cares? I don't need math. But after high school, the thought was tossed around me to attend art school, but I ultimately decided to take a few years off, which resulted in me never doing any post-secondary education and just running off to a town much closer to Vancouver. My first real job was a call center supporting Hewlett Packard computers, and from there I'd spend a couple years in this area hopping between contracts and departments. Ever since I was young, I've always been really good at technical and logic puzzles, which still baffles people as I'm a major contradiction. I'm an artist that loves Excel. So my whole career philosophy has been basically do something I don't hate that pays the bills and gives me the time and the money to work on what I really want to do, which is art. I watch as artists that I admire spat out massive art projects, art books, a web comic spanning decades, and wondered why I could never stick to something long enough to finish it. I had dozens of projects that I've been working on since high school. I never wanted to work for someone else as an artist, which is what the bulk of paying art jobs are, making someone else's vision come true. But for me, I had my own stories that I wanted to tell. Around 2010, I would end up moving to Vancouver, and not long after entering a new relationship with someone that we'll call Alex. I hopped around from jobs till I wound up at that major telecom, and I started out doing phone support for internet, cable, and landlines, and quickly moved up the ladder until we get to where we started at at the end of 2015 where I was working as part of the operational support team. Ops had a plethora of responsibilities. We had a massive inbox that was constantly receiving mail from different departments. We were essentially the point of contact for every team when they didn't know what to do next. Then I got word that there'd be a brand new team of business analysts and project coordinators being put together, and I could apply for it. I had no experience as a business analyst, but I had plenty pulling reports, analyzing data, and problem solving. I read the role and I got ecstatic. This was something that I really wanted to do and maybe it'd be a job that would keep me actually engaged with the ever-changing work. There was one problem though. About a year prior, I really started to notice my memory was failing. It had progressively gotten worse and by this point, I would look at an email on one screen, switch to the other to do the task and forget what it was that I was doing. I tried all sorts of things, cutting out alcohol, trying cannabis, cutting out cannabis, ginkgo biloba, and any other home remedy that you could imagine for memory issues. And I would do those memory game apps that were supposed to improve your memory, and I would excel at them, and they'd tell me that I had an excellent memory, but I couldn't remember what I had for breakfast. 
I had been kind of coasting. I was able to do my current job, though some days were harder than others, but I really, really wanted this job. And as I started reading about the role and researching business analysis, I knew I needed to step up my game as my brain just couldn't absorb this information. I knew the competition was going to be fierce. I was told in my teens that my mom's side of the family had depression. I had always been fascinated by psychology, and when I learned this, then that there was often a hereditary link, well, I chalked up my mental struggles to that. I was terrified of going on medication. All I had ever heard were horror stories of people becoming complete zombies or other horrible side effects. I had seen art therapists as a kid and in my teens, and I was always looking for new techniques and skills that I could learn that might help, things like CBT and other mindfulness, mindfulness techniques all with the intent to avoid going on medication, but I'd never talked to my GP about it, and that, at this point, that was the only step that was left. So when I did, I explained my struggle with depression, I explained what I was experiencing with my memory, assuming that I was going to have to finally cave and get on some antidepressants, knowing that memory issues were common symptoms of depression. She gave me a series of assessments to fill out, the kind used to diagnose mental illness, and she analyzed the results, and with complete confidence, she says, you have ADHD. I was dumbfounded. I never once considered it. I thought it was something only boys got. I wasn't hyperactive. I didn't have issues with focus. I could focus on things for hours. I had been a hardcore World of Warcraft player for years at that point. I used to stay up all night reading books and I could sit and draw for days. I could focus. So where was this ADHD coming from? She gave me a prescription for Caserta and said to give it a shot. I figured why not since nothing else had worked up until that point and I went home. Naturally, I neurotically began to research ADHD as I do with anything that catches my interest or is relevant to my life. Funny about that. And the more I learned, the realized that this was it. My entire life suddenly made sense. First, going on the medication was a bit of a roller coaster. Within a week, I already was noticing a difference. My mental clarity and memory sharpening dramatically. And I got the job. And six months later, I would be in a mad dash, packing up everything I owned, loading it into a truck while Alex was at work, and moving into a co-worker's house who had only asked a couple days prior if she needed a roommate. There is a sentiment in ADHD communities where, for so many other disorders, when you get your diagnosis, it can be a very sobering or even negative experience. But for us ADHDers, it could be the best thing to happen to us. And for me, it was. It completely changed my life. It kickstarted a new career, started a webcomic, started several podcasts. The whole reason I'm doing this podcast is because of this. And probably most importantly, I left a five and a half year abusive relationship. So in case you haven't guessed it, we're talking about ADHD today. <laughs> Drink. Drink? Drink. <laughs> Why are we drinking? I don't know. Every time I say ADHD, <laughs> Drink. <laughs> We're going to have a great time. I don't have ADHD, I don't think. I think I think I don't. No. <laughs> we'll see. We'll find out. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> have you taken the the assessments? I actually ran them through a bunch of assessments last night. <laughs> oh, did oh, you? Really? Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> and no, he just, I like, he got, there's obviously some symptoms. There's a lot of overlapping symptoms between a lot of mental disorders. But uh, no, I don't think he has ADHD. <laughs> So this is a topic very near and dear to my heart, and it's October, which is ADHD Awareness Month. And I remembered it this year. That's awesome. <laughs> I actually put this in our uh, OneNote like seven months ago. <laughs> it's like October's ADHD Awareness Month. I need to do something for it. Oh, too funny. Yeah. So anyone that's known me for five minutes has probably heard me talk about ADHD. It's one of the topics that I just won't shut up about when it comes up. So... 
now I get to talk about it and make you guys listen to me. <laughs> so what is ADHD? This is a very complex question, but I do have answers. Most of the information I'm going to talk about today comes from talks and research done by Dr. Russell A. Barkley. He's a psychiatrist and professor who spent the last 40 years working on the study of ADHD and is considered one of the foremost experts on the topic. And the guy's a great talker. There's an awesome talk he hosted in 2009 called The Essential Ideas Every Parent Needs to Know About ADHD. whole thing can be found on a YouTube playlist that I will link on the website. The talk is targeted at parents, obviously, but I strongly recommend it for anyone that thinks that they might have ADHD, if they know they have ADHD, or they have a loved one that does. It explains so well how the ADHD mind functions and dispels the many common myths we hear repeatedly. Also, he's funny, so you'll get some laughs out of it. So yeah, first things first, ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder. It is a developmental disorder that often begins in the womb. All, all cases post-birth are caused by injuries or toxins that affect certain parts of the brain. So no, too much candy or too much TV does not cause ADHD, Karen. You could not turn a neurotypical child into an ADHD child unless you bring damage then. And, and at that point, we have bigger issues. And then I lost track of where I was. All right, yeah, so anyways. Many mental disorders like depression and anxiety are defined by the abnormal expression of traits on top of regular development. So for example, with depression, you live a relatively normal life when the depression is not acting up, but when it does, it induces abnormal symptoms. Everyone can be depressed sometimes, but with clinical depression, when it's acting up, your depression is more severe and lengthier than normal depression and can often occur with no triggers or reasoning or be triggered by the minor things that normally wouldn't bother a person. A disorder disorders your life, prevents you and hampers you from doing what you need to do, like go to work and feed yourself and care for yourself and others. For ADHD, it's defined not by the abnormal behavior, but the underdevelopment of traits. With ADHD, you will always have an underdeveloped brain. It doesn't come in waves or bouts, but a plethora of medication and therapies and techniques are available to help you cope and close that gap and function on a closer to neurotypical level. A neurotypical child and an ADHD child will appear to develop similarly in the first couple months, but the ADHD child will eventually begin to lag behind as some parts of their brain develop slower. This gap widens with age and the neurotypical child developing at a normal rate while the ADHD child falls further and further behind. This isn't an education or a knowledge thing. It's not like you can work extra hard to catch up a child. You can't change the rate at which the brain develops. You can't out-train ADHD. For humans, our brains continue to develop until we're in our 30s. For neurotypicals, this levels off and they've kind of completed the race. But for ADHDers, when brain development falls off, we're still behind. And for some of us, way behind. And we will never catch up. This is why it's so common for people in their late 20s and early 30s to end up getting diagnosed, especially women, as the gap is at its widest and it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. Unassisted, we simply don't have the equipment to perform at the same level as a neurotypical individual. And whether we like it or not, this is the world. This is a world designed for neurotypical people. We're racing a golf cart against the Mustang. We aren't the. We're not worse drivers by any means. We just don't have the same equipment. Every person with ADHD I've ever spoken to says the same thing. They dismissed all their symptoms because they were told and believed that they were just lazy. It's something we hear our entire lives, not from other, not just from other people, but ourselves. That if we just tried harder, if we just dedicated ourselves, we could do what everyone else does. And it's the most frustrating thing ever because you can't figure out why it's so easy for everyone else to get to work on time, remember to make and pack their lunches, go to the gym, or really do anything regularly. This is a very serious disorder that's poorly understood by the 
general public and thus dismissed, even among people that have it. Some people who were diagnosed as kids thought they grew out of it, or maybe that they were just part of the overdiagnosis that was happening in the 90s, and they never actually had it, and they, were, and they stopped medication after high school. But only a third of children diagnosed with ADHD will progress to a level where they don't need treatment in adulthood. And yet so many of them are not treated. <laughs> so what makes us act this way? Why can't we just be normal? Why are the most basic things such a massive struggle for us? Well, when we look at the DSM, there are three kinds of ADHD. There's combined, inattentive, or hyperactive. According to Barclay, the DSM classification is totally useless. The alleged hyperactive type of ADHD never existed, and really these classifications are more akin to a life cycle of the disorder than three distinct variants. Hyperactive children will most likely be diagnosed with hyperactive. Combined is usually within two to three years of that di initial diagnosis of hyperactive, they will end up in the combined category or sub-threshold combined, meaning that they are missing one or two symptoms. And then inattentive, which is what most adults are diagnosed with. There is a lot of issues with how the DSM classifies mental disorders, which we've talked about before. <laughs> because of this, there are two different disorders entirely separate from ADHD that are in fact closely related. First one is um, ODD, Oppositional Defiant Disorder, which is a childhood disorder that's primarily characterized by a kid being defiant and uncooperative and sometimes hostile. They're also having difficulty managing their emotions. ADHD children are 11 times more likely to develop ODD within two years of the onset of their ADHD. 11 times. Two years? Yes. Wow. I mean, okay. it makes sense though. Yeah, but wow, it just... <laughs> yeah, like, ODD is a separate disorder. It can totally occur separately from ADHD, but mm -hmm. it's not uncommon for children with, ADHD, with ODD to accidentally get diagnosed with ADHD instead. This isn't a okay. malicious or conscious sure. thing. It all comes back to a lack of general understanding about this disorder. Right. Parents right. of ODD children will report symptoms that match ADHD, mostly from a lack of understanding of the root cause. A child with ODD can look like a child with ADHD. If you have a child that just doesn't want to do something because they're rebelling, it can look the same as a child that can't exercise self-control, but the root causes are different. When we put together the children that are in the combined category and the hyperactive category, um, from that entire group, it's estimated about 5% don't belong there. They don't have ADHD there, purely op um, oppositional, and because they have ODD and never had ADHD, they will outgrow their ODD within two to four years and their ADHD will go away. Hmm. And there's a reason for this, because up until 1976, the DSM had difficulties with regulating emotions as a symptom of ADHD. But after 1976, they removed it and it has not yet returned. I don't know why. There's hundreds, if not thousands of studies that say otherwise. Also, because of this, if you or your child has been diagnosed with ADHD, you may not be made aware of the emotional dysregulation aspect. Jeez. Oh yeah, you're just gonna have trouble focusing. You're not gonna have any other issues. I don't know why you're having a meltdown right now. Right. But if you have a doctor not familiar with ADHD, the emotional symptoms described by a parent can then sound like ODD. And conveniently enough, the treatments that help ADHD do help children with ODD, but it does muddy the waters. There is a small group of children that do have legitimately both ADHD and ODD, and they will deal with a lot more struggles than the average ADHD child or ODD child, and their ODD will persist longer than a child with just ODD. 
And then we have SCT or sluggish cognitive tempo. Um, as we mentioned, it's usually adults that are diagnosed with the inattentive variety, but there are some children that do get this diagnosis. It's estimated that 30 to 50% of these children are actually experiencing another disorder, which is SCT. This was coined in 1984 and has not yet been added to the DSM. Barclay orders that argues this is an entirely separate disorder because the, the symptoms are the opposite of ADHD. The medication and treatments for ADHD do not work on this at all. And the only thing is it's because that this disorder does present some attentive issues. They get diagnosed ADHD because ADHD is the only attention disorder in the DSM. Down with the DSM. Yeah. <laughs> Man. So the primary difference between SCT and ADHD is that SCT is an accuracy disorder, where ADHD is a productivity disorder. Um, so like, if a, an SCT child, they will do their homework, it will just be wrong. The ADHD child just won't do their homework. So yeah, in Barclay's study, only one out of five SCT children will stay on medication after the trial. With ADHD, it's 92%. SCT children respond very well to skills training. ADHD children, not so much. So there's been a push to change these classifications, obviously, to a system that's been used in Europe for decades that creates two subgroups of individuals with ADHD. ADHD without conduct disorder and ADHD with conduct disorder. And this is the part that blows my mind, is that, like, every other country in the world is using this system, but North America, we're like, yeah, we're just going to use this book written by some old white guys. Sounds about right. Sounds about right. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately. So, yeah, conduct disorder is the more aggressive version of ODD and is described as the early appearance of lying, stealing, fighting, and preying on other children. In North America, we tended to consider conduct disorder as a comorbidity, another disorder that exists alongside ADHD. But studies have shown that no, that's not the case, that conduct disorder in these scenarios is actually directly tied to the root problem of ADHD and thus could be a part of, well, should be a part of the ADHD diagnostics and classification. ADHD with, with conduct disorder is the most aggressive, aggressive version of this disease. Children with this type experience symptoms of both conduct and ADHD part sooner than other children. Their behavior will be more extreme from the get-go, and one in five of these individuals will develop psychopathy. This is the single best predictor of a person developing, becoming a psychopath, is having ADHD with conduct disorder. Wow. Interesting. ADHD itself wow. doesn't contribute to psychopathy, but with the conduct disorder, that's it. That is your magic combination right there. Um, so yeah, it's incredibly important to recognize that, that recognize a child that has conduct disorder when they have ADHD, because the sooner you can implement changes in their environment and daily life, the better accommodating you can be for this thing, and the less impactful these disorders can be. Like, if you don't know, it's just going to get worse. <laughs> So let's talk about the very messy history of ADHD. So everyone's heard the claims of the overdiagnosis in the 90s and drugging all the kids up with riddling or the disgusting phrase, mummy's little helpers. I don't know if you guys ever heard, ever heard that before. Yeah. But it's oh, yeah. Gross. <laughs> Anyone that knows a mom who's into kooky, weird, new age crap has likely heard that ADHD is a new disease and is entirely made up. I had to have this conversation once. <laughs> She was trying to tell me, well, have you tried essential oils? <laughs> or what about crystals? Oh, no. And I'm like, I'm brain damaged. That's not going to help, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, so obviously none of that's true at all. Um, 
ADHD was first mentioned in 1775 by German physician Melchor Adam Weichard, and then covered in more detail in a textbook by Alexander Crichton in 1798 in a chapter called Diseases of Attention. This means that ADHD as an disorder was recognized and understood before germ theory. So yeah, I mean, yes, Karen, it's about modern parents doing a shitty job. <laughs> That's why we have ADHD. The next big mention of the, of the study of ADHD was in 1902 by Dr. George Sill. Crichton and Sill both recognized that there seemed to be a hereditary factor that was the, or that it was maybe caused by injury. While they both held some beliefs that maybe there were social factors, they both argued that there may be more to that. In 1955, the FDA approved the, uh, the psychostimulant methylphenidate to be used as treatment for individuals with ADHD. This is the same chemical compound that's used in ADHD medications today, including the one that I use. So since 1955, we've been using this. 1968, the DSM-2 came out. It was the first time ADHD was recognized in the DSM. 1987, the second edition of DSM-3 is published and is when the disorder first gets its current name and is also then when we distinguish the two types of hyperactive and non-hyperactive variety, which is the ADHD versus ADD. 1990, almost 200 years after Crichton's textbook, the first neuroimaging study of adults with ADHD was conducted. This study would end up on the cover of Time magazine. So yeah, in the 90s, we saw a big rise in ADHD diagnosis, and this is the everyone area that everyone has heard about, but there's actually a legit and good reason for this. The studies performed and the intention that were received made everyone much more aware of its existence. Doctors were able to better diagnose it and caregivers and parents became aware of the symptoms and more medication and treatment became available with the better understanding of the disorder. So was there overdiagnosis? Probably. It was still something we were learning about. And if you use hyperactivity as your primary symptom, well, a lot of kids are hyperactive. And as we were mentioning before, sometimes children with other disorders may get mistaken as having ADHD. Mistakes were sure to happen, but on a large scale, we don't really have any evidence to support that. But there's also something else. The number of children with ADHD has been increasing. Why? So Because more kids are getting brain damage. <laughs> You're not wrong, actually. <laughs> So there are a variety of factors that cause ADHD. They're all biological. This is a disorder caused by nature, not nurture. And the short answer is that our brains just don't grow good. Um, a child with ADHD will experience a developmental delay in five areas of the brain. The right frontal lobe, the basal ganglia, the cerebellum, the anterior cingulate cortex, and the corpus, corpus callosum. Sure, I think that's right. Um, so these mean that these parts of the brain simply won't develop at the same rate as a neurotypical child. And by the time the brain development stops, these areas are still underdeveloped and will not catch up. So why do kids get ADHD? Two thirds of ADHD children develop ADHD because of genetics. It's not due to anything to do with candy, nothing to do with medication or TV or video games. This was determined at conception by a specific combination of genetics. Get better genes. <laughs> Go back to Old Navy. Get the high rise. <laughs> no one wants low rise genes to come back. Oh, get God, better no, genes. Don't. <laughs> so, a third of all ADHD cases are acquired, meaning that they are not genetic. This breaks down into two categories. 95% of these cases occur during pregnancy, meaning something happened, usually to the mother, that triggers this disorder. 
and 5% of ADHD can occur after birth. So what causes these things? Well, in utero, if the mother smoked or drank while pregnant with you and you had a combination of risk genes, there's a pretty good chance that that could unlock ADHD, along with other substances or injuries that can occur during pregnancy. But after birth, when it's a child's out in the world, Hallie, what do you think the number one cause of ADHD is? You know this one. Oh, wait, I do? Hold you on. You do. I don't know. <laughs> we talked about it recently. Here, here I can't blame my non-existent painkillers. Start it. Spankies. Spankings. Yes, it's obviously it's no. lead poisoning, guys. Lead poisoning. Lead. Oh. oh, lead poisoning. Oh, okay. That was weirdly the first thing that I thought. And I was like, nah, that makes too much it. sense. Okay. <laughs> I just need to trust my instincts. Never mind. <laughs> but yeah, lead poisoning at an early age can give you ADHD. Um, also Damn. treatments for leukemia. All leukemia treatments cause brain damage resulting in individuals having ADHD or SCT symptoms. And then this one's <laughs> I had no idea about postnatal streptococcal bacterial infections. So strep on a developing brain, brain you could acquire ADHD. Wow. All right. Wow. Yeah, so the reason for this is that strep bacteria has this protein coating on the outside that is identical to the proteins that occur in our brains. So our immune system then attacks both the strep on our brains, giving us brain damage. I just want to say that our bodies are terrible at recognizing diseases. <laughs> this is a flawed it's a miracle we're not all gone. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, and, so, and these acquired kinds are also more likely to be accompanied by seizures. Standard ADHD generally doesn't have seizures involved. Um, so yeah, we know, we know that social issues don't cause ADHD, but they are important for the treatment of a child. The resources they, to treat your child are very much dependent on your social environment. Impairments that your child will experience is a direct reflection of those environments. And then comorbidity. So there are a handful of disorders that commonly appear alongside ADHD, and those disorders may have social contributors to them. So things like ODD, uh, conduct disorder, anxiety, depression. And then basically the 40 to 50% of the differences that we see between individuals with ADHD and these disorders can be attributed to the social environment that the individual is in. So genetics. So the exterior factors make sense. Something happens to disrupt natural brain development. Makes sense. Okay. But why would the brain of an otherwise healthy child not develop? We know that it's in the genes. Drugs. Drugs. <laughs> no. Drugs. Not this time. It's drugs. Um, we know it's in the genes. And why would our genes develop that way? It's um, the current theory actually is biodiversity. <laughs> so we're going to get some biology on here. Um, biodiversity is a natural process that occurs in all living things and the more diverse the better as it makes the population more stable adaptable and sustainable this is the reason that humans are all slightly different that's why we have different hair and eye colors why some of us are taller and shorter and why some of us are right or left-handed Courtney why is biodiversity a good thing biodiversity helps you to be fit not Body-wise, like, man, that guy looks fit. But it makes sure that you can have lots of babies and that your babies will grow up to have more babies because that's, for some reason, the meaning of life as far as biology is concerned. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So one of the most famous examples of bio, um, 
of this is the peppered moth. If you ever took a biology class, you've probably heard this story before. You don't know if you've ever heard about it, Courtney. Oh, no, never me and the peppered moth. (laughs) So um, post a picture of the peppered moth in the chat there. Um, So the peppered moth is a common species found in most temperate climates around the world. And it gets its name due to its black and white, often speckled coloration. And the biodiversity here came in the form of color. Some of the moths were mostly white and some were mostly black, though the black ones were quite rare based on samples from 1811. But by 1848 near Manchester, the frequency of the black variety was much higher. And by the end of the 19th century, the black variety almost completely outnumbered the white. Yet in places further from the city, the white variety was still more common. Does anyone have any guesses why? I guess. Not Courtney though. She'll know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I sunlight. I don't know. Tree cover. What was happening in the mid eighteen hundreds? Right. Oh. Plagues. What'd you say? Bites. <laughs> I said plagues. Oh, plagues. Plagues. <laughs> no, not quite. Yes, but no. <laughs> So, well, this was the industrial age, and this is natural selection. This is the start of all our pollution problems. The areas around the city would get dusted and soot, so the white moths had a harder time blending in with their environment, and thus were easy prey for birds. This meant the bulk of the remaining population was black, and as they reproduced, the genes of their coloration was passed on, and soon every they took over the area. Meanwhile, more rural areas where the pollution wasn't quite as bad, we saw the same demographics as before, the white moss being far more common because they could blend into clean trees a lot better than the black. So yeah, we did that. (laughs) That's our fault. (laughs) People often think, like, mistake natural selection to mean that a species is evolving traits to better suit their environment, but when it's really kind of more the other way around. Species will develop diverse traits and only successful ones will then be passed on through genetics. This is how human diversity began. We all began from the same population of humans two million years ago in Central Africa. And from there, people traveled and explored tribes and clans, going to different places, branching out and exposing themselves to new environments, new foods, and new dangers. Those best suited to survive in these new environments would be the ones that would pass on their genetics. And slowly over time, different mutations were favored in different parts of the world until we get to where we are today. It's no coincidence that people native to areas where there's a lot of sun exposure tend to have a darker complexion. Their skin is more adapted to surviving in those conditions. Meanwhile, tribes that went north to what we would later know as Europe, those with lighter skin prevailed as their skin could absorb more vitamin D in a climate where there was less sun exposure. And from there, more mutations would happen, so on and so forth. But it's so wild to me to think back that like, there was a time that we were all the same. And, like, we've developed so much diversity since then. Biology's fascinating. Yeah. About it. So, yeah, this is, theory, this is theorized as to why we see neurodivergence with things like ADHD and autism. It's just another mutation of our genetics. In eras past, we may not have survived as well. But with access to medical care, good food, social structures, and houses, we're able to survive and breed. And diversity is really a good thing, or else COVID might have sent us all the way of the gross Michael banana. <laughs> Do you know how banana candies don't really taste like real bananas? Yes. There's Do you know why? <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're going to talk yes. about it. <laughs> yeah. So that's because this flavor is based on the now extinct uh, Gross Michelle banana. I'm probably saying that wrong. The banana that we know today 
is called the Cavendish. The Gros Michel used to be everyone's favorite banana and the one we primarily cultivated. When in the 1950s, a disease wiped them all out. Thankfully, the Cavendish was more disease resistant and replaced its sweeter, richer, now extinct cousin. You'd think that we'd have learned from that though, but once again, bananas are at risk as I found out when I was <laughs> looking this up. Um, the Forcerum wilt, which is a fungal infection that took out the Gros Michel bananas, has evolved, so yay biodiversity, and is already beginning to infect Cavendish farms all around the world. That's for another story, but we might lose bananas again, guys. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Not the bananas. So yeah, genetic diversity is a good thing. COVID could have killed us all in an instant otherwise. But also, that's why you need to keep getting your shots and stay on top of keeping on top of your health because it's still evolving and you don't want to get fucked. Yeah, we aren't the only ones diversifying our genes. That virus is doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, the yep. panini's not over, y'all. <laughs> the panini is not over. Mm, panini. <laughs> so yeah, the grand majority of individuals ADHD got it through their genes. Luck of the draw and all that. But these genes just don't impact, don't, don't just impact the persons with the ADHD. It was recently discovered that neurotypical parents, children, and siblings of individuals ADHD all display same size differences in these parts of the brain except one, the cerebellum. This tells us that the differences are part of the family phenotype. Even if a family member never shows the disorder, they carry these patterns of underdevelopment. This also tells us that it's something to do specifically with the cerebellum that is the cause for ADHD. I'm not sure what that is yet, but we're looking into it. Which I found that fascinating. So it's like, that means that my dad... Tyler, they all would have had, uh, like, part of their brain would have been underdeveloped because they're related to me. Oh. <laughs> oh. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could just see like, using that as, like, a shitty sibling thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, your brain is underdeveloped. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'm more underdeveloped than all of you, so you're fine. So um, what's the genetic risks? Keep in mind that this only applies to genetic ADHD, obviously. So not acquired cases. But yeah, if you have ADHD, there is a 25 to 35% chance that your siblings will have the same disorder. If you are an identical twin, this risk raises to 78 to 92%. Which I find it interesting that not every identical twin will inherit this. It's fascinating. That is really interesting, huh? There's a 50% chance that one of your parents has it and probably was never diagnosed, which is why in recent years when a child is identified as having ADHD, they also screen the parents now. Because untreated ADHD in adults responsible for raising an ADHD child will make an already challenging task extra challenging. (laughs) There's a 40-54% chance that if I ever have a child, they'll have ADHD. There's a what? Uh, 40-54%. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just flip a coin. <laughs> yeah. Right? Wow. And then a third of um, AMAP assigned male at birth children with ADHD have the acquired type of ADHD, where pretty much the grand majority of assigned female at birth acquired their ADHD through genetics, which I thought was interesting. There's more common um, the acquired type among the born male population. Okay. Over 40 twin studies have been done and published in the last 30 years about to do with ADHD. Because of this, we've learned a lot of things. 
So the severity of symptoms of your ADHD is very closely related to, uh, closely tied to your genes. Like if you have a sibling that gets ADHD as well, your symptoms and severity will likely be very, very similar. Um, and the rearing environment has zero impact on the development and presentation. Not the fault of bad parents. No. Yeah. So knowing that ADHD is tied to genetics, a full analysis was done on the human genome. And there were five to seven specific genes that seemed to be high risk for ADHD. Still discovering the implications of this, but there have already been some fascinating finds. So one is, if you have two of, speci- of the specific ADHD risk genes, and your mother smoked cigarettes while you were in the womb, you are eight times more likely to get ADHD. Eight? Eight, eight times, times more likely. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And the same huh. is also found for alcohol. Oh. Yeah, it's, 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 it's called a, um, a gene by toxin reaction, which I've never heard of before. But, like, who knew that, like, that extra substance in your body would flick that last genetic switch? Seriously. It's wild. Yeah. Hmm. They're also discovering that some of these risk genes may also be risk genes for other disorders. For example, the DIT1 gene is a predictor for nicotine addiction. They also found that these genes will make your child more or less responsive to behavioral therapy. Sensitivity to psychological treatment may be gen- genetically mediated, which is also crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. So this brings us all back around to the whole overdiagnosing and dosing thing. So are we using more medication than ever before? Yes. Is it scandalous? No. What's the problem? There are still people out there that do not have access or are not being adequately treated for ADHD. The medication is not cheap. Even if you're on coverage. I've got really good medical coverage and we still have to pay out of pocket for some of my medication. And I'm on an assistance um, program that helps pay for that as well. It's a separate entire thing. And you live in Canada. And I live in Canada. (laughs) A lot of that is taken care of for you. Whereas like... In the States, like, it's really hard to go in and get a diagnosis unless you have medical coverage and then paying for medications on top of that. Exactly. Like, it's fucking wild. It's a miracle that, like, anyone gets, like, fully diagnosed and treated. Yeah. So, yeah, prevalence of ADHD as of 2022 shows that 9.4% of children in the U.S. have ADHD. That's 6.1 million kids. Have ADHD. Holy shit. Damn. And only two-thirds of these children are on medication. Now, some of these could be personal choices. Some of these could be, you know, other factors. But it could also be things like poverty. You're unable to afford this medication for your child. Then there's the whole gender thing. Assigned male at birth children have a 2.5 higher chance of getting diagnosed than the assigned female at birth. It is believed that a lot more uh, assigned female births have ADHD, but since symptoms present differently and, and people born as female, it's often missed. But we'll get into that more later because there's that's a whole other thing. Meanwhile, prevalence in adults in America is at 0.96%, which seems shockingly low considering that this is a lifelong disorder. But then again, Barclay says that 90% of adults with ADHD are not being treated and the rates of adult diagnoses are increasing four times more than childhood diagnosis. 
We really didn't understand that ADHD was also an ad adult disorder until the 90s. Prior to that, it was considered a childhood disorder only. <laughs> yeah. It just goes away like magic. We don't. We just get better at hiding the symptoms, that's all. <laughs> so what's it like to actually grow an undeveloped brain? And Well, first thing we look at is traits. All humans have a series of traits encoded in their genes that will develop as they age. If you play RPGs, these are your stats. People vary in their strengths, like a different how different classes have focuses on different stats. A ranger's going to be more dexterous, a sorcerer's going to be more charismatic. Except that you don't get to choose your class. That is decided during the character role of conception. But in general, the neurotypical human will have about the same amount of stat points just put into different areas. But as ADHD, we don't. And some of our stats have caps on them that our brains will never surpass. <laughs> so the big reason behind that is that the parts of the brain that are underdeveloped house our executive functions. Executive functions are what makes humans human. It allows us to reflect on the past, control our urges, talk to ourselves through problems, visualize and plan future events, or even come up with new novel ideas by experimenting with different concepts in our heads. These are the things that separate, separate us from most any other mammal on the planet. And there are four circuits in the prefrontal cortex that, of the brain that relate to them directly. There's the what circuit, which is linked to working memory. So it's the circuit that where we think starts to guide what we do. This is particularly true when it comes to plans, goals, and the future. We have the when circuit, which is the timing circuit of the brain. It coordinates not just how smooth behavior will be, will be delivered, but also the sequence of the behavior. But also the timeliness of your actions when and when you do certain things. Mm -hmm. There's the Y circuit, often referred to as the hot circuit because it's linked to our emotions. It's where we think, it's where what we think controls how we feel and vice versa. It's the final decision maker in all our plans. And the who circuit, which is where self-awareness takes place. It's where we're aware of what we do, how we feel, both internally and externally, and what's happening to us. All of these circuits are underdeveloped in a person with ADHD. But the extent of which each is hampered varies from person to person based on the genetics. And a big factor in accounting for the differences for symptoms and their severity is based on these genetics as well as which one of these is impaired more. Combined, these four circuits are what's responsible for the performance of our executive abilities. Executive function is judged by the strengths of these seven skills. First is self-awareness. So this is your you know, ability to pay attention to yourself, self-directed attention. Inhibition, also known as self-restraint. Nonverbal working memory, this is the ability to hold things in your brain, essentially visual imagery, like how you can picture things mentally, also responsible for hindsight, which is directly used for foresight. So both are impacted when this function is degraded. Verbal working memory, so this is self-speech or internal speech, people think of this as their inner monologue, used to help individuals control themselves, navigate life, and remind us of rules and give us advice kind of thing. Um, emotional self-regulation, this is the ability to take pre the previous four executive functions and use them to manipulate your own emotional state. This is the ability to self-soothe. Self-motivation, how well do you motivate yourself to complete a task when there's no immediate external consequence? To ADHD years, the future is a nebulous thing. Sure, doing my homework will allegedly be good in the long run. <laughs> but if I beat this level in this game right now, it's going to tell me I'm awesome right away. <laughs> So when I finish a math problem, my homework, nothing happens. So if you want to see an ADHD or fail spectacularly, put them in an environment where they must complete a task, but there are no consequences or rewards. <laughs> it will never happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll get something tomorrow. What? <laughs> it doesn't matter. 
Do it later. Mm -hmm. What's later? Uh, <laughs> so planning and problem solving is the last skill. Um, experts sometimes call this self-plate. It's how we play with information in our minds to come up with new ways of doing something by taking things apart and recombining them in different ways. This is pretty much like the key feature for human innovation and why we have culture and everything. This, this, is, this executive finishing is really behind that. Okay, Freya just meowed at me for no reason. <laughs> so if you've never met another human being in your entire life, you would still have a level of all of these skills. That's not to say that you can't enhance these abilities with practice and knowledge, but everyone gets a baseline based on their genetics. So you'd be able to do some of this stuff if you lived on an island by yourself your entire life. But all of these will be delayed in a child with ADHD, and they will never develop to the same level as that of a neurotypical adult. This results in an individual who isn't able to resist distractions, who is impulsive, has difficulty accessing hindsight, thus making it harder to plan the future, and they live in the moment. Studies have shown that the development of the frontal lobe for ADHD children is about two to three years behind neurotypical children. But interestingly, a part of the brain known as the motor strip develops two to three years earlier in kids with ADHD, and this is why the hyperactivity aspect comes from. The motor strip is generating behavior and the frontal lobe is not regulating it. Two to three years earlier. I'm like, why? Are we supposed to be the gazelle of our species or something? So we can run away from <laughs> the way? Like... So the 30% rule. The real executive age, the emotional age of a child that has ADHD, they may know they may know and have the skills of their true age, but they can only use those skills like a person who is thirty percent younger. So, a ten-year-old with ADHD functions like this, with the same self-control as a seven-year-old. They all know they know all the the ten-year-old things, but their ability to take advantage of this is that of a seven-year-old. So when your ADHD child is 16 and wants to get a driver's license, you need to remember that this child has the impulse control of an 11-year-old. Would you let an 11-year-old drive? No. <laughs> well, <maybe>. No. <laughs> so then at 18, when your ADHD child is getting ready to go to college, the year executive age is now 12. This means that for an ADHD child to do well in college, they need to be in an environment suited for a 12-year-old. They need constant accountability. They need to be in a substance-free dorm. They need to be paired up with older students. Otherwise, there's only a 5 to 10% chance that they will graduate. 5 to 10%. Wow. I, yeah, I think my brain just shorted out there for a second. Wow. Holy moly. Yeah, and like this, you know... This isn't like an exaggeration or like a scare tactic for parents. This is a kind of the real, the reality of these biological circumstances for an ADHD child. And it's why so many people who weren't diagnosed as child, children get diagnosed later in life because they're, they're going to school like post-secondary and they can't keep up with the workload. Like they're being stressed to the max. Like you can kind of coast a bit in elementary school and high school if, you, if you've got a high intellect. But once you get to those more advanced classes, you're fucked. And you don't have the tools to deal with it. <laughs> so what does this all look like? There are a lot of there's a lot of ways that these deficiencies can present, but we'll go over some of the most common ones. So lack of inhibition is the first ADHD symptom that presents itself with a child. The child can't focus on a task at hand, is always too busy fidgeting, chatting, or doing other things. They don't have the same self-control as other kids their age. Despite what we would like to believe, self-control is not a learned trait. It is not the result of your upbringing or how good your parents were. This also impacts your ability to think about the consequences of our actions before doing things. 
where an neurotypical child will think about how it's rude to talk out of turn and raise their hand instead, an ADHD child may just blurt out the thought as soon as it reaches them and not considering at all how it could be disruptive. This is the part of that makes the H and ADHD a misnomer. And so that's not really the issue. The issue is the inability to regulate that behavior. It's just as, a, as children, this can express this hyperactivity as restless behavior. In adults, this behavior becomes eternalized and instead expresses itself as a need to be busy, doing multiple things at once, the busyness of one's mind and one's ideas. I always need to be doing 10 things at once. I don't know why. Um, and then when we talk about, the best way to kind of visualize this is uh, we take the spoons metaphor and we're going to turn it on its head a bit. We normally use it to represent how much energy you have in a day. But in this case, each spoon is going to represent the self-control that you have at the time. Neurotypicals are just born with more spoons. If you have 10 spoons, you'll be able to be much more disciplined than if you have one. Day-to-day -day life is full of stimulation, most of which you probably don't even realize because you have the spoons to ignore it by default. It's just something that happens automatically in your brains. Um, but with ADHD, the stimulation is much harder to ignore. They're big, flashy neon signs. They're loud and they demand your attention. One thing I always used to think when I saw people writing in coffee shops is how is that even fucking possible? <laughs> like I love to write, but I can't fathom sitting down at the laptop at a cafe with dozens of people talking, moving, coming and going, attempting to write anything cohesive. Even that idea <laughs> wears me out. I can't like, who does this? <laughs> and I thought it was just because I was an introvert for a long time. I'll put headphones in and I can do it, but I have to have headphones or otherwise forget it. Yeah, there's got to be something drowning out the the din of a constant yeah 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 but yeah if there are 10 things happening around me at once i can only i only have the spoons to ignore one and i can't focus on the remaining nine adequately another time this occurs is when someone's talking to me and there is any other talking in audible range like the tv is on or other people are talking beside me all words just turn to mush and mean nothing to me i can't hear anything it's like the everyone just turns into the teacher from charlie brown and i i, I don't know what's happening I only recently realized this is why the bar and club thing was never in my scene. Because I can't communicate and engage with my people when I'm there. And when I'm in those places, it's just a flood of overstimulation. I'm still mm -hmm. learning things about this story like every day. I was like, oh, that's why I don't like those places. It's already bad enough when you're able to handle it regularly. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's like if I'm at a party or something or if I'm at a busy bar and like I can't hear anything, I just shut down. I just like completely disengage because I there's nothing I can't I don't it's all too much and so I'm just womp. <laughs> and then I just try to make an excuse to leave. And they're like, Why are you leaving? It's like because I can't be involved in this. I'm not getting yeah. anything from so this. That's, so that's like that's like self preservation, right? Like you're you're yeah. just like nope and you just nope out. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so emotional dysregulation, um, this may present as being quick to anger, a low frustration tolerance, easily excitable, and to display emotions much more quickly and visibly than a neurotypical person. We don't feel things more intensely, we just have an unlimited ability to self-calm. As children, this looks like temper tantrums, potentially violent outbursts. As adults, this may look like road rage, the dismissal from jobs, not because of performance, but attitude. This aspect will impact ADHD's person's entire life and is the number one factor for someone with ADHD when it comes to troubled personal relationships, especially of the romantic kind. I was always told that I was, like, sensitive as a child, and, like, that's what I, oh, she's just sensitive, blah, blah, blah. And, like, I never really thought about it. 
And like, as I was going through stuff, I was thinking about some of the stuff again, because I haven't looked at it in a while. And I'm like, what, how does the emotional dysregulation, like, how did that present in me? And then I remembered that, like, I would get stressed or something at work, and I'd have a conversation with my boss, and then I'd break down fucking crying for something stupid. <laughs> like, thankfully, I had a pretty good relationship with my boss, so it wasn't too weird. But I was also just kind of like, I just start crying for no reason. Once I start crying, I can't stop. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, just leave me alone for 10 minutes so I can make this stop happening. Right, right, right. Go away, just leave me. Just, yeah, that's, oof. Because <laughs> it, it just, it just like takes over everything. Exactly. Right? It just kind of like floods the whole system. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, exactly. It's just that it becomes the most, it becomes your number one distraction is this emotion. And yeah. you can't like, you don't have a way of regulating it and being like talking yourself down. You can't. You're just feeling it. Mm. And you've got to ride it out. <laughs> yeah. So then we have the attention deficit symptoms. This is a misnomer and is more accurately described as failure of persistence and can be broken into three aspects. First is persistence toward a goal. ADHD is a failure to direct behavior future, uh, forward in time. Second is the ability to ignore distractions. ADHD people do not perceive distractions more or less than the average person. It's just how that we respond to the distractions that dis distinguishes us. Um, <clears throat> I've got this story from Barkley here, which is great. It's like, you and I may hear the noise in the kitchen. The person with ADHD is compelled to react to it. Oh, did you hear that? I guess they're washing dishes. Maybe I'll stop in and take a look. Did you know I was a dishwasher in college and that's how I earned my way? And then you see what's happening there? You all heard the dish, but it was irrelevant to what we're doing here today. But to the ADHD individual, the distraction is going to provoke a response. The response can't be inhibited. And now they're off to the races, skipping from one topic to another. And that is exactly what it's like. <laughs> I could be involved completely in something and then... Something will make a noise. This happens all the time here. Like, I'll hear a noise I hear, and it's going to be one of some of the cats do. Nathan usually doesn't hear it. I'll hear it. Like, something happened, and Nathan will go look at it for me. Because so it's like, I need to know what, what it was. <laughs> or else I'm going to be sitting here thinking about it. I, uh, hmm. Oh, I have <laughs> a lot there? of self-recognition here. I don't <laughs> think I like it. <laughs> So ultimately, ADHD should be more accurately named uh, Executive Function Deficit Disorder because the hyperactive thing is a misnomer. The attention deficit is a, yeah. a misnomer. Our executive functions just don't fucking work. <laughs> then we have working memory. This is one of those things that you really don't appreciate until it's gone. That is, that is if you can remember that you once had it. <laughs> Everyone, if you live long enough, will eventually get to experience the joys of this deficiency. <laughs> But usually it will be in your senior years. As ADHDers, get, we get early alpha access. So keeping this things in our brain is just like grasping at sand and it'll slip away in an instant. And we end up latching on the less <laughs> stimulating idea. Um, this also occurs uh, in women who enter menopause. Uh, you will start to experience this. So yeah, working memory. So it's filling your cat's water dish. But then spilling some, so you stop to clean it up, and you notice the floor is dirty. So you bust out the mop, and you figure you might as well do the hallway and the bathroom while you're at it. But then you're in the bathroom, oh and you God. notice the shower glass could need a scrub, and you remember that you bought a new cleaner, and you grab it. And then you begin to read the ingredients, because you want to make sure you don't have to worry about anything with your pets. 
and you see that it has eucalyptus oil and you know that oils can be toxic for cats so you pull up a lit massive list of different essential oils and it talks about which ones are dangerous to pets and there's all these oils that you've never heard of and and then two hours have passed and the water dish is still sitting on the counter full this is a true story <laughs> i hate everything right now <laughs> Was this you? Oh this is me. This has happened to me. That that story is very accurate. Hadfield was meowing at me like two hours later. And I'm like, what the fuck do you want? <laughs> like, where the water dish is still sitting on the counter. Yeah, so the water dish is still obviously important. You just won't remember it until you see it again or your cat reminds you, which thankfully cats are pretty good at letting you know when they don't have what they need. Hey, human. Human. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Luckily, Hatfield never shuts up, so there's that. <laughs> Aww, sweet baby. <laughs> but yeah, you can be distracted by anything. You can suddenly remember that you were supposed to put cheese in the grocery list two days ago and you forgot. Maybe you receive a text. You might not even, it might not be anything important. You might not even have to answer it. But that can derail everything you're doing. Maybe your partner comes in the room and asks you if you have ideas for dinner. Gone. And yet, if we get into the zone on something, we can work all day with such intensity that when we stop, we're starving and realize that we've gotten to eat anything all day. Yeah, we, we can pay attention to things. We just can't choose what we pay attention to. And then another thing, something is one of the newer ones that um, we've been talking about more lately is the rejection sensitivity dysphoria. So, as someone explains, basically people with ADHD are very sensitive to rejection, but not just that, it's also perceived and anticipated rejection. We ruminate, getting stuck on thoughts in our heads, and we could spend an entire day with someone, having a great time, and then when we go to say goodbye, we go in the wrong way for a hug. And we will fixate on that. Nothing else that day matters, because we did that, and now that person must think that we're a total uncoordinated loser, and oh my god, I should cancel our plans next week. They probably don't want to see me again, but then if I message them to counsel, maybe I should just ghost them. It'd be better for them in the long run, better than having to deal with me as a friend. Meanwhile, the friend didn't even notice the awkwardness in the hug. This is completely illogical, but it's what our brains do anyways. It's, we blow things just out of proportion, proportion entirely, and you're like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And then you talk to the person, they're like, what are you talking about? They don't even remember what, the, what it was, but you're like, okay, but I said that word wrong. You must hate me. That's sensitivity rejection dysphoria? Yeah, rejection sensitive dysphoria. Yeah, I just, you know, rearranged them for my own reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this was a common crossover to many other disorders as well. So I'm sure, like, especially with, like, um, depression, anxiety, you probably experienced that. Yeah, yeah. You know, Kayla, now I, now I am fully also... Coming to understanding why you kept saying that Ambrose, one of my <laughs> yeah. characters, she was like, that boy's got ADHD, listen. And I was like, oh my god, I didn't even like do that on purpose. Okay, I'll, I'll take it from someone who, you know, deals with it. And, and We know yeah, our kind. Now <laughs> like, oh, the pieces I know that. are like super clicking into place. It's really weird. <laughs> I'm having moments right now. <laughs> Definitely. And yeah, I'm sure you'll recognize this thing because, you know, a lot of the population has it. And like, there's a lot of people that haven't been diagnosed, but you may recognize these behaviors in some of your friends. Like, oh. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of the things that I've mentioned are not in the DSM. These instead have been gathered from reputable, reputable sources and institutes devoted to ADHD research. The DSM lists only 18 symptoms in total. 
I'm not going to read them all to you, but they get basically summed up to be can't pay attention, fidgety, can't organize tasks or activities, easily distracted, forgetful, an, an aversion to tasks that require mental effort, often interrupts or intrudes on others. That is it. That is basically the gist of what these symptoms are in the DSM. <laughs> so nothing about emotional dysregulation, nothing about the social issues. Meanwhile, Barkley and his colleagues did their own research and came back with 91 symptoms. Holy! <laughs> 91! Wow. Yeah. So one of the many fun things about ADHD is that it comes with a bunch of extra cool freebies. person with ADHD has an 80% chance of having one of the disorders on this list. 50% will have at least two of these disorders, and these disorders are Depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, oppositional defiant disorder, learning disabilities, language disabilities, fine and gross motor difficulties, executive function difficulties, tick disorders, or another psychological or neurological problem. ADHD by itself is very rare, and these other disorders will need to be treated as well. I have both depression and anxiety on top of my ADHD. <laughs> Piggyback conditions, yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's your flavor? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, treatment. Can ADHD be cured? The big thing to understand is there, there is no cure. The frontal lobe of mine will always be a shriveled, undersized blob of Play-Doh. There's no silver bullet, and it's often, often suggested to think of ADHD more akin to something along the line of diabetes. Diabetes, like ADHD, has no cure. What you're doing when you treat diabetes is reducing secondary harm. If you don't regulate your insulin, you risk going blind, having brain damage, losing fingers and toes. With ADHD, those risks are different, but they are real, and some of them can be just as, just as, or if not more, detrimental. But ADHD is one of the most researched mental disorders, so there are so many resources and supports, just endless. So you just have to look for them. Then medication, therapy, and skills can work wonders. But they don't just immediately make you a neurotypical individual. <laughs> They just help you better regulate yourself and help alleviate some of the symptoms. Um, so there are four key concepts in getting the best treatment for you. First thing is get a good evaluation. You need to make sure that what you actually have is ADHD and you also need to figure out what are the comor comorbidities you have because that's going to be a big aspect of your treatment. Families need to educate themselves and it's just, this just isn't about you. The impact of families is lesser when obviously you don't live at home, but you should educate the people that you are closest with, not only so they can better understand what's happening, but also so they can be your wingman and catch you if your behavior starts to change. These things are really hard for us to notice in ourselves because that work in memory thing. <laughs> what, am I different today? I don't know. <laughs> what happened yesterday? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm pretty stable for the most part these days. <laughs> most part. Um, Medication is the most effective treatment. Medication plus behavior environment changes are even better. Only 20% of children with ADHD can prosper in an environment with environment behaviors and changes alone. Even those 20% do better with medication plus everything else. Make accommodations. Create prosthetics and artificial devices to help the person show what they know. The things in our brains that don't function so good can get a huge leg up from the externalization of these processes and adopting strategies that can come more naturally to your neurodivergent brain. If you don't have a working memory, make one. 
use sticky notes, use notepads, make it in your visual field. And that way it's just like a neurotypical person referencing in your brain, except you just have to look down. It lifesaver. And then there's three roles that um, a parent must play. So if you're a parent and you have an ADHD child, you need to be a scientific parent. You need to read widely and educate yourself on ADHD. You need to experiment with your kids, since not all treatments work with all kids, and you need to keep on trying until you perfect it. Be skeptical, as there's a lot of bullshit out there on the internet, especially about ADHD. You need to be an executive parent, so you need to take charge, make sure stuff happens. You are your child's guardian. You need to make sure you do your best to make sure that everything that needs to happen happens. No one else is going to advocate for your child. Your child's certainly not going to be able to advocate for themselves. Um, so yeah, you need to be that one to make sure that they go to their appointments and they get their treatment, which is also why it's so fucking important that if you have ADHD as a parent and you're not being treated, you need to be treated because you need to have that those executive functions to be able to help your child. Mm-hmm. And be an advocating parent. So make stuff happen for your kids. Advocate for their needs. Make sure that their school programs and their babysitters and stuff have accommodations for them because these things are so vital with ADHD it's an issue the issues and deficiencies you deal with is at the point of performance nowhere else you cannot fix a child's issue with homework in a doctor's office you need to do it at the kitchen table where the issue is or else nothing's gonna happen because we need those things to be immediate (laughs) or we'll forget them so raising a child with ADHD costs five times more than raising a child without the condition According to a study, they found that neurotypical families spend on average about 2800 per child per year compared to 15000 spent by families with ADHD children. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. And that, that, that's a stat from the state, so I'm sure that, that probably includes something to do with the medication as well. I'm sure it's cheaper here, but yeah. you're still well, but paying also, for a lot of accommodations. Like, there's like that invisible tax, right? Because like, I have other friends with ADHD. They talk about things like all of the impulse buys that they have, all oh, of yes. the forgotten returns that they don't make on time. And I'm sure that factors into it as well, especially if you have a kid. Oh, yeah. The, and that's why you, you probably don't have undiagnosed ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you definitely have to keep an eye on that stuff for sure. Uh, so hands down, ADHD medication is the most effective treatment for ADHD symptoms. To date, there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I'm going to explain why. So this whole thing about genes we've been talking about, they've nailed down five to seven genes that appear to be risk factors. Um, I don't know if you guys care. We have DRD4, DRD2, DAT1, DBH, MAOA, LPHN3. Those are the genes. I don't know if they mean anything to anybody but me. (laughs) But one thing that is about these genes is that three of them are genes that specifically involve with dopamine regulation. We look at nerve cells, the frontal lobe, when one of those nerve cells is stimulated, an electrical impulse will travel down the nerve cell. When it reaches the end, a packet of chemicals, dopamine, is going to move to the outside membrane and burst. I have a diagram. Diagram? Yeah. We love a visual aid. <laughs> so do ADHDs. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, oh, so this is kind of like a nerve cell at the very bottom with the little like orange dots. That's the dopamine getting spit out and getting sucked up by the other one. So the dopamine gets sprayed out and into the synapses and if there's enough dopamine it will cross over and bind to the next membrane of the dopamine receiver nerve cell causing it to fire so on and so forth. And this is how your brain works. It's just a series of firing nerve cells making stuff happen. 
so now there's just all this dopamine that's getting squirted outside the nerve cell and no one likes a mess. So your brains have these little vacuums known as reuptake transporters. And they go around sucking up the excess dopamine and cleaning the place up. DIT1 is one of the genes tied to ADHD. It is responsible for building and working those vacuums. But if you happen to have a longer version of this gene, you're going to have more vacuums, which by itself is not a problem, but it means that when the dopamine gets released, it immediately gets sucked up by all those hungry vacuums, vacuums before it, it can do its job and trigger the next nerve cell. It leaves a person in a state of too little dopamine. So this is a whole thing about around like how we can't motivate ourselves because we can't, we don't feel good when we do things <laughs> unless like it's something that we're really engaged in. Um, so yeah, why does it matter? Well, ADHD people have 30 to 80% more of these vacuum cleaners and you can see why that's a problem. <laughs> Too many vacuums reduces the number of nerves that are able to successfully fire. And this is why we can't regulate anything. <laughs> and this is why the medication works like Ritalin or Concerta. Cause what they do is they clog up those, some of those vacuum cleaners and allow the dopamine to actually get sucked out by the other nerve cells. Methylphenidate is the key component in these drugs and that and it's called a dopamine reuptake inhibitor. That is its primary purpose is what it does is stop those vacuums and I have a diagram. So yeah, just block those vacuums so that the dopamine can go actually where it needs to go. So while my drug is active throughout the day, that's what's happening. I've, I'm on Concerta, it's, a 12, it's an 8 to 12 hour dose essentially. And during that time, my dopamine is working. <laughs> not during the time, it's not. <laughs> this is also why ADHD drugs don't work the same on individuals that don't have ADHD, because your brain already has a reasonable amount of dopamine. <laughs> it's not really going right. to change. Fewer than 10% of people with ADHD will not have a positive response to at least one of the ADHD medications available. ADHD medication can normalize the behavior of 50 to 65% of those with ADHD, a result in substantial improvements in another 20 to 30%. This is all dependent on the severity and presentation of the ADHD. For me, I'm moderate to severe. I am on Concerta. I am on the highest dose. This doesn't completely normalize me, but I feel like it gets me 70% of the way there. It's a massive improvement. And even missing a couple days, my performance will drop dramatically. Like when I started my drug, within a week, I noticed the difference. Dang. And this is because the medication treats the underlying neurological issues, not the symptoms, the issues. And the issue is the dopamine getting wasted and that's what it targets. In this way, ADHD medication is more akin to insulin, like we mentioned. And see, I got distracted and forgot what I was reading. <laughs> <laughs> Now, not everyone requires medication based on the severity of your symptoms. Some people may be able to function with some new skills and changes in their environment. And that's pretty fucking awesome. But if you have ADHD and you're struggling, I strongly recommend talking to your doctor about medication options. There's a reason that they've been used for more than 50 years. Now, this is pretty damn cool, but it gets cooler. There's a handful of different ADHD drugs available that can be broken into three categories. There's the stimulants like Concerta, Adderall, Ritalin, many of which have been in use since the 1930s and 50s. Non-stimulants, which is like Atomexetrine and, and Vialexine, and then the alpha-2 hypertensive medicines like Guanafstein and Clonidin. So in general for people with ADHD, there's a kind of an even split between which medications work best for different people. Most people with ADHD will perform best on one type versus the rest but a handful of ADHDers will be fine with whatever option. 
This means though, if you're a newly diagnosed ADHD person, there will be some trial and error to find the right combinations and doshas for you. But with all the genetic testing that's being done with ADHD, doctors may one day be able to swab your cheek, test your DNA, and determine which medication will respond best. Which is really fucking They can do that now. Jeremy had that done. Really? It was a blood test, granted. He had it done for his uh, blood pressure medication to figure out which one would bond best with certain the whatever it is the certain parts of his genetic code because he gets it genetically um and they switched him and he was instantly like doing so much better yeah awesome this like that came from um a 2009 talk so it's been 10 years so that's awesome that it's actually being used now (laughs) yeah like they're starting to to do it with certain conditions that's really cool yeah, like, I was really lucky that the first drug that I tried worked, but I've known people that have been going through months, sometimes years of different trials to try and find that right combination. It's the same with any psychological disorder. It's trial and error, and it's a long time with each trial. <laughs> and this, of course, is complicated by the co- those comorbidities. Concerta is my primary ADHD drug, but um, I am also on Wellbutrin to help cope with some of the symptoms of my depressions. Doctors were not going to throw a bunch of medication at you once. You're going to try one, you're going to adapt to it, increase and lower the dosage. And then once you're good with that, they'll add another one in. So it is a very long process, especially if you need a combination of drugs. Yeah. So there are a lot of misconceptions about these drugs. They are not addictive when used as prescribed and when they're not inhaled or injected, which you can't do. With my conservative, the drug that I use, you cannot grind it up and inhale it just the way that the, it was designed it just like it's more like trying to break apart play-doh you can't you can't snort it <laughs> <laughs> yet it's a controlled I substance an and i can only get three months at a time <laughs> that yeah yeah some of them the, it's it's wild being on a, a medication that's a controlled substance one of my one of my fibromyalgia ones is too and it's like excuse me what it's a it's a what are people doing with this again my <laughs> yeah, doctor right? was like Ugh. she just she was so funny when i mentioned it because she was like she just kind of rolled her eyes and was like no trust me i know <laughs> <laughs> like oh gosh <laughs> but yeah it's it's bananas when you can only get and like heaven forbid you have to you travel somewhere else and you only have so much medication to get you through and you have to try to refill it. Been there, done that. It's a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. No kidding. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't even know what to do. (laughs) Panic. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) Like I can survive without my medication. I just become mostly useless. (laughs) So (laughs) like, Oh, if I have to get by for a couple months, I I could deal with it. But (laughs) if I have to continue like working and being at my like full functional self, it's not going to happen. They do not increase aggression. In fact, they lower it. They do not cause seizures. You would have to swallow the whole bottle. They do not cause ticks or Tourette's unless you are already prone to them. And in that case, there's a 30% chance that you may find worse symptoms. There is a belief that ADHD medication could predispose the ADHDers to hard drug abuse. This is based off of one very flawed study. Among those flaws, the researcher did not control for conduct disorder, which is the biggest predictor of drug abuse among ADHD children. Oh. And when you controlled oh, for that, there was no link. So 17 studies have since been, pro- have been done that prove that there's absolutely no link between ADHD medication and a predisposition to drug abuse. So guys, contact disorder seriously included in the diagnosis.
just, you know, run your scientific trials correctly. Fucking right. <laughs> Jesus. But it's all part of the fact that people don't recognize conduct disorder as a comorbidity and, like, it's actual direct interaction. It's like, they just ignored it for this trial. <laughs> so... Medication is great, and it will help you a lot, but it doesn't magically just erase your disorder. The next best thing is curating your environment for the ADHD brain. Seriously? It seems so simple, but this is massive. For all tasks that an ADHD tries to do, the issue that we encounter happens at the point of performance. Using what you know. So organize your environment and your behavior so your disability is less debilitating. The only treatment that works with ADHD is one that targets right where the issues occur. So if your child is struggling with homework... You're going to fix this at the kitchen table, not the doctor's office. ADHD have no problem with interacting with an environment if the consequences are now and immediate. Thus, create external stimuli and forces to replace what should be internal motivation and stimuli. So yeah, that's just like, you know, you know your child puts their clothes in one corner of their bedroom all the time instead of the hamper. Move the hamper to that corner. Done. <laughs> You just need to adapt your environment to the things that you naturally do and move things around so that it will trigger you to do the things that you're supposed to do. And that will make a huge difference. And then we have expectations and behavioral modifications. So one of the best ways of helping a child with ADHD is creating artificial consequences that can be enacted immediately problem with homework is there are no consequences or reward until the next day or whenever that class is or even when you not until you get your final grade at the end of the semester so this is where behavior modifi modification tools like tokens and star charts are invaluable if you're doing your homework and you get a star that's an immediate reward that is something you can work toward because it's now and these tools should be thought of like a ramp leading into a building it makes it accessible for someone with a disability because of this you will need to continue to use these tools throughout your child's development you would never take away a ramp after 30 days if to tell a person in a wheelchair they have to use the stairs. This isn't training reels. This is an accommodation for a disability. And, dude, a sticker chart is not going to break the bank or, like, ruin your life. But it will help them a lot. <laughs> uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is, well, it's not a very effective treatment for children with ADHD. As cognitive behavioral therapy is about training you to talk to yourself. And ADHD kids don't have the internal voice, so they can't take advantage of that. But with adults, it is it can be helpful. And then food and diet. No matter who you are, eating a healthy and regular diet will make you feel better. The same can be said for individuals with ADHD. Now, people may be more prone to impulse control, poor impulse control when it comes to junk food. But the food itself isn't the problem, it's the brain. So just keep that stuff out of sight and you know it, it's going to reduce the draw a lot we know the food additives don't cause this disorder so it's not you know red dye 21 or something uh, but one in 20 individuals kid could be exacerbated by a small by a small bit with these things so this is very minor and very trivial so changing your child's diet and pumping them full of supplements will not make an adhd child function like a neurotypical one you may not even notice the difference at all and like yeah all these Karen's and stuff that are like, oh yeah, gluten is causing it. This is that. No. When they did the trials, they found that there was one food dye that gave a minor reaction that was pretty much negligible. Red 40? Probably. <laughs> I don't know which one it was, but. 
So untreated ADHD. You see treatment options are endless and that's great, but what happens when you don't get your treatments? So having ADHD is like being nearsighted to the future. A person with nearsightedness can only read what's right in front of them. Everything else is a blur. Same can be said for a person with ADHD, except it's their life. ADHD can only deal with things near in time. The further out an event is, the less capable they are dealing with it. If you're only dealing with what's in front of you because that's what exists in your mind, other things are going to fall apart. And it's not, common for, it's not uncommon for people with ADHD to be moving between one crisis to the next as the dominoes fall, each one totally being avoidable if we'd have the ability to prepare. With ADHD, intention isn't the issue. We want to do things. We know we need to. We know how important it is. And we'll tell our loved ones that we're going to get it right this time. And we truly mean that in the moment. We're just as frustrated with ourselves as you are. No, we're more because it's like, why can't I remember to close the damn fucking cupboard after opening it? It's stupid. This isn't really an issue I have anymore, but I did have it back in that abusive relationship before my diagnosis and treatment. Despite how many times he reminded me, I would just do it all the damn time. I'm cooking dinner. I open the pantry to grab something and all I can focus on is continuing the task that I'm already doing, the cooking. I don't have the working memory to be able to remember to close the cupboard too. And oh man, every other day I would yell that for it. Despite all the negative reinforcement in the world, despite how upset my partner got, despite how many times he would remind me for five years, it was just something that I could not remember to do. And like, if it was something as simply as trying harder, like, would I have not done that? No one wants to upset people they care about. No one likes being berated and yelled at. It wasn't fun for me and I wasn't doing it just to piss them off. I didn't even know I was doing it. And yeah, just like shit like that is things that we do. And when you're in a healthy relationship, you and your partner work towards that. When you're an unhealthy one, they're an asshole. Uh-huh. Right. So the brain can be split into two pieces, the front part and the back part. The back is where you collect your knowledge. The front part is how you use it. Performance. So this is what makes this disorder devastating because you know everything. You could know everything in the world. You just, when it comes time to use it, the engine doesn't turn over. You can't put the pieces together. It's like a puzzle, but you don't have a cover image and there's pieces missing. So the severity of a person's ADHD plays a big part in the mountain seriousness of the issues that they may encounter. Most children with ADHD have moderate to mild symptoms. And pretty much the breakup is 43% are moderate, 41% are mild, 14.5% are severe. Now, if we base it on the 6.1 million kids statistic, that's 880,000 kids with severe ADHD in America alone. Almost a million kids. Wow. And with severe ADHD, all the treatment in the world is not going to, you are still going to have a lot of deficits and you're still going to be working really hard, even with everything. Mm -hmm. So, talked about a couple of the consequences. Um, so, day-to-day -day life, you're going to have issues with your memory. This is a quote here. This is the part that people who don't have this problem refuse to understand. I often cannot hold a thought long enough to write it down. Or another quote. I can have a phone or a notepad in my hand when the thought occurs and still fail. I forget things faster than I can open a browser tab. Stimulation traps. For a long time, many people, and there's so many people out there today, that think that, oh, TV, TV or video games cause ADHD, which is false as we know. But we do know that if you have ADHD, you love doing that stuff a lot more than the average person. <laughs> Playing video games, <laughs> watching TV, using the internet, talking to your cell phone, using social media. 
these they don't cause ADHD but we fucking love to do them because it's instant gratification and yeah it's very easy for us to get sucked into these and just do that all day (laughs) instead of anything else Um, children with untreated ADHD are far more likely to develop other psychological disorders. And that's on top of already having ADHD and you're likely going to get a disorder. If you are untreated, you're going to develop more probably or more severe ones. Um, children can feel like failures because they can't do the basic things that all their peers can. They're told that they're lazy by teachers and grownups. Some, some that choose to just not invest in the child because they think the child doesn't care. And then they internalize these things. So even when the comments stop, They repeat them to themselves every time that they make a mistake. And it's a whole rumination thing with ADHD. We love to do that. We get stuck on thoughts. And so, like, you fail and you're just sitting there the whole day like, I'm a fucking failure, I'm a fucking failure, I'm a fucking failure. And it just doesn't stop. It just keeps going. And that track will just run. Even while you're thinking about other stuff in the background, it will run. So, yeah. I felt that way for most of my life (laughs) before I got on medication. It's a lot less of that now, thankfully. Um, we are more accident prone. Our inability to control what we hyper-focus on can make us a danger to ourselves and to others. The single biggest cause of vehicle accidents is vehicle di- in-vehicle distraction, and what are we bad at doing is ignoring distractions. We get more speeding tickets, more car accidents, multiple accidents, worse accidents. Licenses are suspended three times more often than the average person. This is, a, this is a disorder that can interfere with driving. And this, there's no other, sorry, there's no other disorder that can interfere with driving as much as ADHD. Which is probably a good thing I don't have a license. So because of this, in Canada, actually, if you are a teenager with moderate to severe ADHD, you are required to be on medication to be able to drive. I didn't know this. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So social and school work. So under education, um, we will have a lot of difficulty with school and be more likely to be held back a year. A third of us will quit high school and only five to 10 percent will finish school unless provided other or finish college unless provided other aids. Inconsistent academic performance. So my dad couldn't understand why I could do so well in a class one year and miserably the next. For my grade nine math year, I nearly failed, somewhere around 60%. The following year, I switched to applied math. A different kind of math is taught using real world examples, applying math to real problems. I got 98%. It's just- Wow. And it's all about that engagement stuff. It's like, cause what I was learning about in applied math was like, this is like, how you calculate the half-life of a radioactive material. And like, this is how you calculate disease spreads. And this is how you do your fucking, I learned how to do my taxes in that class. (laughs) (laughs) It was fucking awesome. (laughs) I love that. Uh, And then um, a lot of problems with the workplace. Um, ADHD people that are untreated are more frequently fired from their employment. They change their jobs more frequently. They have more frequent episodes of it and longer frequent episodes of unemployment and more likely to have lower work performance, which makes sense. Money, less savings, more impulse buys, more issues managing debt, more issues with use of credit cards, paying bills on time, terrible credit rating because we don't pay our bills on time. Um, Social, 50 to 70% of ADHD children will be utterly ejected from close relationships by second grade. 50 to 70%. You're going to lose your friends. 
just because you don't think you can't think the same way and keep up with you with your peers and you can't control your emotions and regulate your behavior because you know another kid in like second grade is not going to understand <laughs> why you like blew up <laughs> right yeah and then remote romantic relationships there is higher rates of divorce if one or both partners has ADHD um since we have issues self-regulation, ADHDs are more likely to engage in risky sexual behavior. Who knew? <laughs> have more partners, may become sexually active a year before other teenagers. Four-time increase of STIs, which is fucking crazy. Yeah. Wow. I'm, like, neurotic and paranoid as hell. So, like, I was on top of that shit growing up. <laughs> so I was like, how do you... Like, do you just not? But I guess if you're just not thinking about it, then, you know... Kids are dumb with hormones. I had a, had a friend in high school who, uh, I guess, I wouldn't be surprised if her partner had ADHD thinking about it now. One time they wanted to have sex so bad they used a candy wrapper as a condom. Oh my. What? She gave birth to for our prom and she came to prom. <laughs> what? Oh <my> God. <laughs> yeah. No, say all of that again, because it can't be real. <laughs> it's, it's fucking real. We're still Facebook friends. She's another kid. <laughs> it seems wow. to have worked out for the most part. But yeah, got pregnant. She was the only girl in my high school class that uh, got pregnant. Because she used a candy bar wrapper as a condom wrap. Like, <laughs> yeah, right? That sounds so uncomfortable. Ugh. Oh, I don't want to think about it. Oh my god. But yeah, speaking of teenage pregnancy, there is a 10 times increase in teenage pregnancy. ADHD is the biggest predictor of teen pregnancies. Barkley did a study on untreated children with ADHD and 32% of the boys had fathered a child by 19. 68% of the girls had been pregnant before 19. I guess I'm fucking oh, lucky. <laughs> Jesus. Damn. Right? Like, oh. 68%. I can't even. That doesn't feel like a real number. I know it is, but it doesn't feel like it. Well, like, and imagine, like, the states where there's a lack of mental health support are also the ones that don't promote safe sex. So you're just asking for it at that point. It's just, yeah, it's factor on top of factor just stacked up. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, as you can see, this impacts every aspect of your life, and that's why there's a big push to increase use of medication and the length of time. As for most children, they're on it for three years or less. Studies have found that childhood treatment, childhood-only treatment is useless in regards to changing the life course of these individuals, especially as the symptoms worsen with age. So, yeah, if you have ADHD and you still have enough symptoms as an adult and you don't get treated, like, it doesn't matter if you get treatment when you're a kid. Because it's just going to get worse and you're not going to have the tools to deal with it. So my experience being untreated as an ADHD person, I managed to get through my childhood and young adult years without really any devastating issues. I didn't have a child in high school, but I also didn't go to college or drive. I was a giant introvert. I was a nerd. So I played video games and comics and I drew art and that was all the stimulation that I needed to keep me occupied. I never went to parties in high school, and since I lived outside of town, I couldn't get into trouble unless my dad drove me somewhere or someone picked me up. So my introversion and geekdom and isolation probably did a hell of a lot to keep me out of trouble in those teen years, because I couldn't fucking go anywhere. What are you going to do? What are you going to get in trouble doing in the swamp? Okay. 
Mm-hmm. You're going to get muddy. <laughs> so even as a young adult, making my first friends away from home, they were all nerds too. So a wild party was everyone getting together to someone's house, drinking beers and playing rock band. So in a way, I am incredibly lucky because I know the impulses that, they, that they're talking about. I say it all the time when we talk about the gen stuff. If I had internet at home, I would have very easily fallen into that trap. Very easily. Yeah. And like, I don't, yeah, I, I don't blame my, oh. yeah, right. <laughs> and it's not a coincidence that pretty much all the gen survivors have later found out that they had ADHD. Yep. But yeah, I don't blame my dad or my grandma for not realizing that there was something off with me. That's probably not true. They did realize that there was something different, but I think it mostly, they just mostly chalked it up to me being creative. They got me into art therapy and other assistances in my youth to try and address things that I was struggling with. I just don't think anyone put together all the pieces and realized that it wasn't specific things that I was struggling with, but everything. Except for the things that I was really interested in, of, interested in, of course, which was what made it more all the more confusing, because I could do really well in some things and really shitty in other things. But why? No one knows. So yeah, I've mentioned a couple times the ADHD tends to present differently in AFAB women. We don't have enough research at this time to show how it impacts non-binary and trans individuals, but I imagine they face a lot of the same struggles and some of their own unique ones as well. So it really needs to be a lot more um, study into individuals th- that have alternative gender identities because I'm sure mm-hmm. it's huge. They already deal with a lot of stuff that we don't have to. So, But yeah, this is why many women go undiagnosed for so long. The reasons behind this are surprising but also make total sense. It's all society's fault. Huh? <laughs> it's... Why women don't get diagnosed, it's all society's fault, and why we have such a hard time. So first thing to know is the cause of ADHD is the same regardless of gender. It's the same parts of the brain that are, that are underdeveloped and have dopamine issues. But how these issues present themselves can be different based both on the biological differences between a, a cis man and woman, and also the social differences. The short reason is the squeaky wheel gets the grease, and as a woman, we have been trained since childhood to not be a bother, to be polite, and to be quiet. Symptoms in boys tend to be a lot more externalized. The classic hyperactivity, the fidgeting, the being loud and impatient. Where girls, we internalize things. We keep up a facade, and our struggles happen behind closed doors and are more aligned with the inattentiveness symptoms. We struggle with things like homework, social issues, and self-esteem. Things you can't immediately notice by just looking at us. We lose our words, we can't keep spaces clean. And when we're emotional, well, we're just bitches or PMSing. And like I said, it's not a coincidence that nearly every survivor of Jen later found out they had ADHD and they were, they were almost all AFAB as well. So they didn't get diagnosed in their teens either, or in their childhood either, because it was not picked up. So yeah, knowing how much of a change in perspective and empowerment I gained once I started treatment, and how it made my own abusive relationships suddenly apparent. I can't help but wonder if the system hadn't failed us, would we still have wound up in these situations? Obviously there's like no going back, but. Yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah. Like it doesn't help, but it definitely does make it, make you an easier target. For sure. 
So there's something called the cough drop sign. This was um, penned by Dr. Ned Hollowell. He coined the term in 1994 in his book, Driven to Distraction, which is based on a story that a patient told him. And I think this does a great job of summarizing what it's like to be a woman with ADHD. So the story is, someone left a cough drop on the dashboard of our car. The other day I saw the cough drop and thought, I have to throw that away. When I arrived at my first stop, I forgot to take the cough drop to the trash can. When I got to the car, I saw it and thought, I'll put it away at the gas station. The gas station came and went, and I had it thrown out the cough drop. Well, the whole day went like this. The cough drop still sitting on the dashboard when I got home. And when I got home, I thought, I'll take it inside and I'll throw it out. But at the time it took me to open the car door, I forgot about the cough drop. And it was there to greet me when I got into the car the next morning with my husband, Jeff. I looked at the cough drop and burst into tears. And Jeff asked me why I was crying. And I told him it's because of the cough drop. And he thought I was losing my mind. And she's like, but you don't understand. My whole life is like that. I see something that I mean to do and then I don't do it. It's not only trivial things like the cough drop. It's big things too. And that is why she cried. Yeah. Right now in the bathroom is a curling iron. The cable is unraveled. It's hanging from a hook and it has been like that for a month. I see it several times a day. It is something I think about frequently. Hell, I am thinking about it right now as I'm writing this earlier. I'm writing this in the bedroom and I'm thinking about it. And I could get up and go there and do it in less than a minute, but I won't. I tell myself I'll do it the next time I go in the bathroom, but I won't. And it's the stupidest fucking thing. So many believe the reason for underdiagnosis in women is because presentation does not align with the standard diagnosis criteria as outlined in the DSM. Attitude Magazine, which is ADD magazine, put together the following symptom checklist for women. So this is the questions that you should ask yourself if you think you might have ADHD as a female. Do you feel overwhelmed in stores at the office or at parties? Is it possible for you to shut out sounds and distractions that don't bother others? Is time, money, paper, or stuff dominating your life and hampering your abilities to achieve your goals? Do you often shut down in the middle of the day, feeling assaulted? Do requests for one more thing put you over the top emotionally? Are you spending most of your time coping, looking for things, catching up or covering up? Do you avoid people because of this? Have you stopped having people over to your house because you're ashamed of the mess? Do you have trouble balancing your checkbook? Do you often feel as if your life is out of control and that it's impossible to meet demands? Do you feel like you're always at one one end of the deregulated activity spectrum? Either you're a couch potato or you're a tornado. Do you feel that you have better ideas than other people but are just unable to organize them or act on them? Do you start each day determined to get organized and end each day feeling defeated? Have you watched others of equal intelligence and education pass by you? Do you despair of ever fulfilling your potential and meeting your goals? Have you ever been thought of as selfish because you don't write thank you notes or send birthday cards? Are you clueless as to how the others manage to lead consistent regular lives? Are you called a slob, spacey? Are you passing for a normal? Don't, do you feel like as if you're an imposter? Is all the time and energy taken up with coping, staying exercised, and holding it together with no time for fun and relaxation? So all the symptoms are very, very common for women raised with ADHD. On top of everything else that we experience. So the latest research suggests that ADHD in women causes a greater emotional turmoil. Despite widespread improvements in diagnosis and treatment of ADHD, some professionals are stuck in the past believing that ADHD primarily affects boys and men. 
and not girls and women. And so women are far more likely to get diagnosed with something else instead of ADHD. This underdiagnosis has deep roots in childhood. Girls with ADHD tend to try harder, to, harder than their male counterparts to compensate or cover up their symptoms. They're more likely to put in extra time to ask for help from their parents. Girls are also more likely to be people pleasers, doing everything you can to fit in and not be a bother. Other women will run themselves into, uh, sorry, often women will run themselves into the ground, trying to balance and keep up with their jobs, home, school, and children. And they will do this for years before finally seeking help. This frequently because previous attempts to get help just came with disappointment or because truly they think it's just them. It's their fault. And of course, add in difficulties of remembering to book and get an appointment and go to several appointments that it takes to get a diagnosis, so on and so forth. Getting your fucking referrals and waiting two years, you know, it's the whole thing. Yeah. So Dr. Nadeau is a psychiatrist with a focus on ADHD and women had this to say. The most common diagnosis of a woman before she receives her, her ADHD diagnosis is depression. So many women have come into my office and said, I've been in therapy for years. I've been diagnosed with anxiety and depression, but I'm still having problems. It's maddening and it's such a treatable disorder and there's no excuse for that. And it's so fucking common. <laughs> yeah. So Rachel Hall is a 26-year-old mother of three from Sandy, Utah, spent years struggling with anxiety and depressing. depression and never knew why. Whenever anything went wrong in her life, she overreacted. She recalls falling apart during her honeymoon because she couldn't decipher a set of driving directions. I told my husband, why don't you just leave me now? I'm worthless. One little thing would just blow out of proportion and then I would start to feel guilty afterwards. And the more guilt I felt, the more depressed I got. The stresses of motherhood made things even worse for Hall. While she was expecting her third child, she broke down and, and got hospitalized for depression. Doctors prescribed her an antidepressant, which didn't work at all. And she says, it made me feel like I just didn't care and took away the pain of, took away everything. I didn't feel happiness and I didn't feel sorrow. So she got admitted to a hospital and was given psychiatric drugs and they still didn't identify ADHD. Wow. After the birth of her daughter, Hall began experiencing freaking frequent outbursts of, of anger. One second I'd be fine, the next second I'd be a raging banshee, she recalls. I was so mean to the people I cared about that I couldn't do it anymore. Hall thought she might be suffering postpartum depression, but her obstetrician ruled that out, saying it had been too long from her delivery date for that to be a possibility. One day she saw an ad for a mood disorder study and decided to enroll. She says, I got frustrated at first. I told my husband, well, I must be on the placebo because it's not working. Then, as soon as I started the second five-week trial, I noticed the difference. She didn't know it at the time, but during the second five weeks, she was taking Concerta, the ADHD medication. The medication seemed to make her think more logically, and she was less forgetful, less edgy. I'm just generally in a better mood, she says. I feel happy. I don't blow things out of proportion. Dr. Nado says that Hal's, Hal's experience is far from unique. The, she says... Pressure on women to be organized, self-control, and be the one who's keeping everything else organized is a societal expectation that's deeply ingrained. Women feel very much a failure if they can't keep their house in order. There's a tremendous toll of having to keep up appearances, struggling, having embarrassing moments. Things like, I forgot to pick my kids up after soccer practice, and they were the only ones left standing there, is a very public failure. And women are often not forgiven for these kind of things. With a man, they'll say, oh, of course he, he forgot, he was just busy. But when you think about it, yeah, women aren't given the same leeway as men for these kinds of things. You make one mistake with a child and people will think you're a horrible mother. Mm-hmm. 
And with a, if a dad does something like that, they're like, oh, well, he's trying. <laughs> but he was like, just babysitting. Like, he doesn't... <laughs> yeah. he doesn't yeah, take care yeah. of kids generally. Yeah, exactly. Not his job. <laughs> so, as if emotional problems aren't enough, ASG may also bring on the financial costs. This is what you were talking about, Courtney, earlier. The ADHD tax. You're constantly paying for mm-hmm. your disorganization and forgetfulness. You're losing your glasses, so you need to buy a new pair. You get a parking ticket because you lost track of time and the meter ran out. Things like this may happen frequently in the life of someone with ADHD. I had my own ADHD tax today. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, I ordered the first five volumes of a comic that I was reading. And I've been reading them as they've arrived. And the fifth one arrived today, and it's French. I was just moving so fast oh, no. and quickly when I bought the book. I didn't or, when I didn't realize that it was French. And I've done this before. Like I've ordered concert tickets in Toronto, <laughs> like oh, thinking no. I bought tickets here. I've done that. <laughs> oh. um, uh, Lyle Hawkins is a 59-year-old mother of three. Long suspected that she had ADHD, but didn't get diagnosed or treated until age 40. She regrets all those years of being misperceived as lazy and careless, but most of all, she laments the lost opportunities. Hawkins married right out of high school, but she feels like she likely would have gone to college instead if she had been effectively diagnosed and treated in her early years. Quote, I was from a very educated family where education was really important, but college would have been too stressful. When you have ADHD, everybody's on page 10 when you're on page 3. And like, she would. She just thinks she would have not got married if she'd been treated. Yeah, and that's such a huge change in your life. <laughs> just because, like, yeah. oh, I don't think that's, I can perform in school, so I'm not going to do it. So yeah, ADHD women women is complicated by the gender roles of society. There's a very long list of expectations for women managing the self, the family, the home. It requires consistent coordination of executive functions, which <laughs> we are not wired for at all. Um, and like in we try and seek social acceptance, but we we aren't because we're different and we're terrified of constantly being found out that we were actually a fraud. And I know that I felt this a lot growing up. Um, I didn't really identify with my gender. Like I was female, but I was not like any other girl that I knew. And I was like, I can't understand how they're so put together all the time. And like they know how to do their makeup and they do this stuff. And like this stuff was just like magic to me. I was like, I, I don't know. I, what, <laughs> like I never thought that I was male I just thought I was a broken female just because I could not just be okay. <laughs> like every other woman yeah. that I saw so yeah clinicians cannot under- underestimate the extent of which women measure their self-worth and self-esteem according to their success in conforming to gender expectations so other struggles for women they're more likely to struggle with rejection sensitivity um, they will often unintentionally isolate themselves, letting friendships and other relationships deteriorate to protect themselves from the discomfort and confusion that comes with social interaction. They are more likely to engage in risky sexual behavior compared to women with ADHD. One theory that of one theory for this early recognition of sexuality as a shortcut to social acceptance, social acceptance, but this is a double-edged sword because now you're quote a slut, even if you don't feel that way, you will internalize that others feel that way, whether they've said it or not. Um, tactile defensiveness or sensory overload so being touched and common things like certain items of clothing having like textures like sensory issues um, like you see a lot with people on the spectrum 
ADHD people have that as well. For me, I can't handle being partially wet. <laughs> it's such a weird thing to say. Mm-hmm. But like if I get water on my face while I'm doing dishes, it will drive you fucking crazy. I will go fucking batty. Okay. But, you know, like in wash- like washing dishes, I know that I'm going to be getting my hands wet and I can usually deal with that. But sometimes I still wear gloves just because like, I can't deal. <laughs> just can't. Yeah. Um, behaviors perceived as controlling, demanding, and easily irritated. Issues with addictive behaviors such as substance abuse or gambling. Significantly increased likelihood of acting on negative feelings, including self-harm, picking at skin, cutting. Um, I definitely had self-harm issues in high school, so that is true. Uh, camouflaging of symptoms. Research shows that women are highly motivated to hide their ADHD symptoms and compensate for them. The symptoms they are, that are observable are often anxiety or mood-related. Freya! Which, which can lead to misdiagnosis. ADHD symptoms get worse throughout our cycle, becoming more severe when we... Freya! Just threw a, one of the PlayStation remotes on the floor. What a bitch. Right? Go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> right. So, um, ADHD symptoms do get worse throughout your cycle, becoming more severe when your estrogen is decreased. So that's a couple times a month. <laughs> it just gets worse. <laughs> um, estrogen kicks in during puberty, which is also around the same time the ADHD symptoms become prominent in girls. These hormonal changes are often expressed as anxiety and emotional volatility. And, some, and as some moodiness is always expected with a period, and especially as a teenager, and the general way that doctors tend to take the complaints of females less seriously, it's easy to blow these things off as them being dramatic or just PMSing. Chronic underlying feelings of inadequacy and shame are difficult to acknowledge and articulate and more challenging for clinicians to recognize and quantify striving to hide their differences and reluctant to ask for help more women second guess themselves and retreat within their whenever their credibility is questioned women frequently feel like they can't fall apart because others are relying on them it's ingrained in women from a young age that we should be the caretakers and that our needs are secondary this is especially gets um this expectation gets internalized and our further and we've been further criticized ourselves for failing at our one job Women with ADHD blame themselves for being too distracted to catch up with daily responsibilities, so they anticipate criticism and rejection, and thus can censor themselves and play down their experiences. But obviously masking this comes at its own cost, and it usually results in women lashing out at the people that they live with or they're closest with. Such unintended episodes leave them them feeling demoralized and overwhelmed with regret. Without a neurobiological explanation, they attribute the inadequacies to flawed character. And that is 100% all the... Um, symptoms that I experienced, I thought I was just a broken, shitty human being, just couldn't do things. I 100% thought I was just... It was my fault. <laughs> I just wasn't trying hard enough. Wow. They are also more likely to experience early physical or sexual abuse and may manifest system symptoms related to PS- PTSD. Believing in their unworthiness, women may endure relationships involving emotional and physical abuse. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) Oh, man. 
So as women's responsibilities increase, their psychological distress increases as well, but low, low self-esteem rarely allows their needs to come first. Distracted from their own self-care, women with ADHD postpone checkups and procedures and function with serious sleep deficits. They're chronically stressed and they may depend on prescription medication to manage anxiety, mood disorders, sleep, or pain, and they may self-medicate with alcohol or drugs. For far too many women with ADHD, day-to-day -day life is a perpetual source of shame. We're ashamed that we're always late, ashamed that we can't keep our houses clean, ashamed that the people around us seem to have everything figured out, which they don't, but mixed with the shame is often fear. We're afraid that another screw-up of our disorder will cause a, a, our carefully cultivated facade to unravel. So these feelings are very disempowering. They very literally rob you of your power and your joy and your sense of self. Um, girls with ADHD often find themselves being actively bullied. And back in the grand 1980s and 90s, no one did much about it other than tell us to suck it up. If it was a boy doing the bullying, some authority figures might have just said, oh, he's just doing it because, you like a because he likes you. Setting the stage for us to then conflate abuse with healthy relationships later in life. Yeah, so just like a lot of those expectations that we deal with as women um, just get amplified in someone with ADHD. Yeah. ADHD is tough, obviously, but there are lots of things that you can do to get around it. And there are so many resources out there, YouTube channels, TikToks, ADHD communities on Twitter. Yes, you know, there's so many people. And like, if you think you have ADHD or you have ADHD, joining one of these communities can be so fucking validating. Because then you realize you're not the only person. And like, I'm, I don't do Twitter or TikTok, but I'm on Facebook and I'm in a Facebook group um, called ADHD and Spectrum Super People. Um, and it's awesome. Like, there's always people posting like, hey, is this normal? Does anyone else do this? And then like, you find out something fucking weird that you all do. So it must be something to do with your disorder. And it's just fun talking to people and talking this stuff out. And when someone says something like, oh, well, this is actually what's causing it. And this is what helped me and people sharing their hacks it's, it's awesome obviously with anything on the internet though you know be skeptical and if someone's telling you to put something in your body you should probably do some research and talk to your doctor and don't make nyquil chicken just don't no no tiktok hacks here oh my god also no candy wrapper condoms please oh yeah don't do that, oh my god. that i can't i can't get over that that <laughs> oh also, ADHD and autism have a lot of comorbidities. Yes, we do. They're like our cousins. <laughs> like, we have a lot of the same stuff, and, you know, so we have a lot of relationships, or a lot of things that we can relate on, so I've definitely been able to relate with a lot of people on the spectrum, because we, like, share the same things. Like, oh, yeah, fucking weird sens sens sensory issues. Been there. <laughs> All right, so some of the things that I do, um, use clear containers or labels. If you can't see what's inside, you will forget that it exists. Same goes for open shelving, and it'll help you keep everything organized. And remember what you have. Take off your cupboard doors if you have to. It will help. Um, when a thought enters my brain mid-conversation, I have two choices. I either blurt it out and talk over the other person, or I focus on the other person and leave that thought to perish because it will die. I have a bit of a middle ground, so what I do is, if I'm in a physical setting, I will raise my hand and to signify that I have something to say and it seems super silly but for people that I'm close with they understand and they let me get my thing out and then carry on yeah hold please yeah one second here I need to get this thought out okay let's go 
Um, my most valuable tool for coping with my ADHD is my phone. Um, I have access to my notebooks, my lists, my calendar, and it's vital to my very existence. Um, obviously, this doesn't work for everybody. Some people don't have a phone, lose their phone, or have issues keeping it charged. For those people, a physical planner may be better, but whatever it is, you should have something on you at all times. This is something I used to have an issue with. My phone, my wallet, my house keys, my access badge for, badge for work. I swear I would forget one of them every time I left the house. So I combined them all into one with a case. Now I never forget my phone. <laughs> and I set up a charging cable at work. And so as soon as I get in, I plug it in. But yeah, moving everything to a case attached to my phone fucking changed everything. Because now you're not looking for four things. You just need to grab one thing. I just always have my phone with me. Um, either do it now or write it down. Seriously, the moment that someone gives you a task or you think of something needs to be done, you either need to do it right now or schedule it in your calendar. So, like, if Nathan talks about something that he really wants, I'll add it to a secret list that I have for gift ideas because I fucking won't remember it. Um, and then if I have a story idea, I open my appropriate OneNote notebook and I write it down. I sometimes will do this, like, in the middle of the night. Nathan has caught me doing this. Uh, <laughs> I have notifications turned off for almost everything. The only thing that I get notifications for is my email, Discord, Signal, and WhatsApp. That's it. I don't need to know that somebody liked a picture of my cat on Facebook the instant it happened. Um, I can't handle pending notifications. I have to deal with them the moment no. I see them. If the corner of my eye, mm -hmm. I will obsess until I do it. Yep. And like people are like, oh, well, maybe you should just put your phone where you can't see it. Oh, fuck no. I can't do that. That's worse. Nope. If I can't see the face it's of my still, phone. It's still there. Whoa, oh my God, what's happening? And I'm in a room and I'm like, yep. what's happening when I'm not paying attention? What, is there something I'm forgetting about? That's on my phone. Yep. Boy, that sounds, that's why all my notifications are off. All of them. <laughs> Discord, all of, all of it. All of it. If my phone starts, like I keep getting political texts. I'm like, no, 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 no. no I cannot <laughs> with you right now block. <laughs> Definitely. I have like, um, you have like 30 notifications all the time. I have 30 notifications all the time. Looking at your phone stresses me out. So it's like, it's not, I just, I just like, oh, okay. I'll flip through the notifications and I'll look and I'll see what's important and I'll just scrap the rest. But what I can't do is have my notification sounds on. No. Yeah. Because, like, it stresses me out so much. Same with the vibration. Just, like, even, even like, the vibration or even, like, just one text message sound, it just, like, sends me into, like, a stress cloud, basically. So everything has to be silenced. <laughs> yeah. The worst D&D &D monster right there is the stress cloud. <laughs> so yeah like group chats i'm only in a handful of group chats and the ones that are really active i mute them so this is like the whole thing about attending the notification immediately so i get anxious when i'm constantly being pinged so if someone's constantly chatting i'm like oh god i fucking need to mute this or i'm gonna go crazy and so i do um if i'm in the middle of something i don't open links so people send me links oh check this out Unless I really want to, because I know the second that I do, the task that I'm doing will be interrupted for an indefinite amount of time, and I may get sucked into a black roll, which is also the reason that I never go on YouTube unless I know exactly what I'm looking for. Because <laughs> that is a day, that is a way to just like t 
take my entire day. <laughs> it's just YouTube videos. Um, checking a link at a 10 a.m. on a workday could derail me for the entire day unless something really demanding of my attention comes up. I always pay attention to my work email and have the notification channel turned on for that just for that very reason. If for some reason I get distracted, at least when that, no that noise goes off, I know I need to look at my computer. <laughs> so I I've quit most social media because that's a rabbit hole that I fell down fast. And the last thing that the next thing I know, I've read six months of Ask Reddit and nothing else I did in my entire day. Um, they're just such time traps for me, so I keep my usage very sporadically. Like, I check Facebook once a day, and that's while I'm eating my breakfast, and that's it. And then maintaining a social life for me is very difficult, so Facebook allows me to artificially do that. <laughs> so, like, people just know that I'm still alive. <laughs> they haven't heard from me in three years. I'm still here and I still care about you a lot. I just, uh, <laughs> I just, uh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so after that, I don't go on social media unless I have like five minutes and only five minutes, like something else is going to like trigger me to like interrupt that task. And then I'll scroll Instagram. And that's why you suddenly see a bunch of likes from me like once every two weeks. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's because I'm waiting for water to boil or something. <laughs> And then, of course, um, every night at around 8 p.m., I turn my phone off to, I turn my phone to do not disturb. Just cut that out entirely. And, oh, my God, once I started doing that, that, like, was so good. <laughs> um, if I'm on my computer, which I often am, I, I'll open up, like, Signal or something. And, and if I want to, like, in case Nathan wants to message me from the living room so I can try and keep an eye on that. Because um, the only people I have on Signal is pretty much Courtney, Jake, um, Nathan, and... Tyler, so my brother. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. Oh, what? The what about Hallie? What? Oh, I don't you care. Just, oh, I thought you said, oh, sure, like you were, like you were. No, 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 I don't care. I. By that time, Hallie's turned into a pumpkin, and she's asleep. <laughs> Everyone has to do what they have to do in order to keep their mind, like, as settled as possible. I, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, Discord I, is a total assault. <laughs> so, it's a risk when you Seriously. Seriously. I cannot with Discord. The constant notification. I was like, nope. Mm -mm. It's too much. Yeah. It's way too much. Too much is too much. So yeah, a couple more things I do. Um, create urgency, so set deadlines. You know, since we can only keep so many things in our head at a given time, if there's no urgency, we're gonna focus on things that have urgency. So we're always chasing the next most important task. And so if I have something to do that's really important, I create an artificial deadline. I put it in my calendar to remind me. Because otherwise, it just won't happen. If you give me an open-ended task, it's not gonna happen because I need to do the litter box. <laughs> and I will not remember. <laughs> Um, when I'm brushing my teeth, I feed the fish. And there's a reason behind this. I do any, uh -oh. so doing anything for two minutes that isn't fully engaging is fucking torture. So if I want to actually brush my teeth the amount of time that I need to, what I should, if I'm doing other stuff, I get it done. So when I'm brushing my teeth, I walk around the house, I feed the fish at the same time, I take a few moments to look in the tanks, make sure everything's okay, turn on some lights. And then at that point, I'm usually pretty much done. I return to the washroom and finish brushing my teeth. But that—that that is Smart. mandatory part of my. I dig that. Yeah. 
I used to find two minute long stories to listen to because I get bored. Oh. That sounds like a trap to me, though. <laughs> was it two minutes. One? This, one? this one. Just the one. And I'd put it on and I'd listen to the next one. Or <laughs> they'd be like two minute history things. And then also, Laura showed me Pokemon Smile, which she uses for her kids to entertain her kids. So you have to brush your teeth well. And then if you brush your teeth well, you have a chance of catching a Pokemon afterward. Oh, what? That's kind of cute. Right? That's pretty good. Pokemon Smile. I was I like, that. oh, you mean I, a way for me to trick myself into taking care of my body? I like that. Yep. <laughs> I use podcasts to make myself like go into the shower. Like It's always such a thing to yep. convince myself to have a shower. It's not like I don't like showers. Yeah. Like I'm in the shower, I'm having a fucking great time. It's wonderful. Um, but like it's just getting to that point. So if I put on a podcast as I'm walking to the bathroom, I can make it happen. Because <laughs> then I'm just going to listen to that. That's why I have a, a Google Dot in our bathroom so that I can I put on a podcast or listen to music and control it from the shower with my voice so I don't drown my phone. That's smart. I use a Ziploc bag. <laughs> but that's that a better works. idea. <laughs> Um, we have we have the Google Home in the kitchen, and I, and I use that. Like, I'll turn on music in the kitchen when I need to go in the kitchen to start doing something, and that will get me in there. But, yeah, I should probably get one from the bathroom. That would be good. Highly recommend I mean, it. There's one here in, in the other room that never gets used. That's true. We should just set that one up in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I only ever use it to, like, connect to when the other one's not letting me connect. Cause connecting to that one and then connecting back works for some reason. Oh, weird. Yeah, it's weird oh yeah so the whole thing about the phone that i wrote down wrote down there was because i saw a notification on my phone while i was working on this and so like i'm gonna write about my phone and all the things to do with my phone <laughs> yeah and so like if things are like grocery lists like if i use something and there's not more than one serving left in the container i will immediately add it to the grocery list if my hands are too gunky to do it and touch my phone i yell at nathan to do it i keep floss in my bedside table or else i'll never floss for some reason that works <laughs> I have a backup hairbrush there too because if I don't brush my hair when I get ready in the morning, then I can at least do it while I'm in the bedroom. That makes sense to me. My medications are all on the counter all the time because I take them first thing in the morning. Otherwise, I won't remember. Yeah, yeah. Line of sight. Line of sight. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You can't see it. It doesn't exist. So yeah, I'm pretty much if you are someone with HD, anything that requires remotest amount of forethought and multiple steps done, we just must break it down. So you just got to break down the future. Every task must be broken to the smallest components because something as simple as a recipe can become super intimidating when you're looking at the whole thing. So I have been doing NaNoWriMo for 15 years. So long before my diagnosis. And if you don't know what that is, it's National Novel Writing Month. It's during this month that you sign up and the goal is to write 50,000 words within a month. And so how do I do that with ADHD? (laughs) I write 2,000 words a day. And if you're doing math, you're like, well, 2,000 times 31 comes up to 61,000. And I do this on purpose because the bare minimum is six, 1,666. If you, wanna, if you just want to write the bare minimum every day, that will get you to 50,000. But I know that I'm terrible at writing on the weekends or if something comes up. So I need to, catch, I need to write as much as I can ahead of time so that when I get later into the month and I'm less <laughs> motivated to do things, I'm already got the word count. But yeah, it's all about tricking yourself. And sometimes if I'm really, really having a hard time writing, I will like get a snack and like break it down to little pieces and like every hundred words have a piece. And that's how you write a novel. That is a really <laughs> good idea, actually. <laughs> <laughs> 
so yeah, that is that is ADHD in a nutshell. I got a ton of memes that I was gonna share with you guys, but <laughs> it's a lot. So yeah, questions, answers, concerns. Are actually no, I do have a question. What? I am very curious because we were you were talking about how like recognition of certain signs and 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 symptoms and behaviors didn't kind of really cut start coming around until the nineties and then of course the first thing the medical field does develop drugs uh to to treat people <laughs> are 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 therapists or or behavioral specialists getting better at recognizing ADHD in kids as well is that coming along too yes. or is it kind of lagging behind the medication aspect of it uh no 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 it's definitely getting a lot better um like we've come so fucking far now if your child gets diagnosed with ADHD they're gonna scan you and they're being a lot more comprehensive with that um the awareness is getting out there more obviously though like if this is not your field in as a medical practitioner you know what you may not know this stuff and you um maybe really undereducated because like yeah like I was really into psychology and I knew nothing of this shit so yeah you know what if you're having trouble getting diagnosed or getting proper treatment or you think that you have something in a doctor's tongue you don't look for a specialist there are people who specialize in adhd pretty much everywhere there's a bunch of online organizations and charities that um do a bunch of research and stuff into adhd and they can they've got directories on how you can find um specialists in your area because yeah, sometimes you have to go to a specialist to, to to get what you actually need, just because there's so much misinformation that even medical practitioners may get things wrong sometimes. Like yeah, yeah. I didn't know that there was a genetic component, and now apparently my kid has a fifty-fifty of having ADHD. Oh yeah, you should be aware of that. <laughs> no, I think it's interesting because I have a lot of a lot of comorbidities with ADHD because I'm pretty sure I'm autistic. Mm-hmm. but I have the ability to seek out the structure and use it. Like I cling to it like a raft. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like there's different levels of function. So it is possible that you have ADHD, yeah. but you have, you know, higher ups. Both. That. And you are on other medication as well. That could be helping. Maybe my anxiety medication. What, what, uh, what's your medication for anxiety? That's a good question. Citalopram. Okay. I'm not, I'm not familiar with it. So I'm not sure if it's, Used. Um, it's uh, well, it is a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So okay, so it's 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 in the same vein. So you're on citalopram, uh, you said. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I take for my depression meds. Yeah, it's a antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that would definitely help with ADHD symptoms. It's also called Celexa. Celexa. Speaking of ADHD and uh, autism, that is a chart that has a bit of a crossover they're like kissing cousins yeah exactly <laughs> they're bffs um when i was they're too close <laughs> when i was on twitter i ended up <laughs> making friends with a guy who was on the spectrum and like that was like our thing we would just like share each other's memes about autism and adhd and like high five <laughs> yep it's like yeah our disorders are messed up <laughs> time blindness but i i overcompensate for it by fixating on time yeah i uh yeah i have set schedules i just have to like i have no idea how but i have like an approximate i've like timed out to see how long everything takes and then i have 
how long I think everything should take, and then I apply <laughs> that to everything else. I'm pretty good at giving a, a decent time estimate for what something's going to take. But um, what I do is I set, like, checkpoints. It's like, okay, yeah. if I'm not done this thing by 5.30, I need to stop and reassess. <laughs> yeah. The hyperfixation, high-context thinking, special interests. Oh, yes. I think, too, recently a lot of people have been getting ADHD and autism diagnoses because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we were all left alone for so long that either we had to face ourselves or we lost the ability to mask. Yeah. And then we went back out into the world and forgot how to make eye contact and went, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, too real. Right. <laughs> There's so many good memes. There's so many good memes. Then I found some, like, horrible memes that are, like... The memes that people do who don't who don't believe in ADHD. Oh, love that! Yeah, like oh, this one's That's great. Cool. It's like bad. Like back in the day, it was called <laughs> daydreaming. Today, <laughs> it's called ADHD <laughs> and is treated with drugs. When did children? Be- did when did childhood become a mental illness? <laughs> oh God! Thanks, Karen. Uh, yeah, great. It's good times. So yeah, that's 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 my disorder. It's why I'm so broken, and you guys have to deal with me talking and talking for like hours about stupid not stuff. At all, <laughs> you're not broken, and you that don't have to deal with you. Dope. You're dope. At least no more broken than the rest of us. Oh, Ayo. yeah, yeah, and that's that. more of a facetious thing. I don't think I'm seriously broken. <laughs> I am different. I was gonna say broken is like broken is people like Ed Gein. Like that's broken. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Let's compare that. <laughs> what's the guy's Ed Kemper? Oh yeah, yeah. him yeah. too. Yeah. See, that's, yeah. that's different. That's a different thing. All right. Well, I think we can end here then. So, did it. Thanks for letting me. Thank you for sharing all of these yeah, new facts really. that I'm gonna have yeah. to parse through slowly. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So many informations. Yeah. Any now you know a little more about ADHD. Yeah. Oh no! Yes, thank you for thank yeah thank you seriously for all the information. That's like hell yeah, super just. That's it for this week. I want to thank all the amazing supportive people in my life that make living with this disorder all the more tolerable, and for always being patient with me and listening and understanding when I explain what is happening and why. I love you all. You're the best. There is so much that I didn't get a chance to cover in this just because of time, but uh, it will all be available on the website as usual, along with some of my favorite ADHD memes. If you're interested in learning more about living with ADHD and its impacts, I strongly recommend the YouTube channel How to ADHD by Jessica McCabe. She does a wonderful job explaining this very complex topic in a very fun way, and she always cites her sources, which is the quickest way to my heart. So give her some love. Next week, we're back with some possibly spooky stories to tell in anticipation of Halloween. As always, pictures, links, and additional information can be found on our website at thehumanexception.com. To keep up with all things exceptional, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at The Human Exception. Have a story you want us to cover, want to tell us that we're wrong, or you just want to say hi, you can email us at thehumanexception at gmail.com. And to get on the fun, you can come join us on our Discord server. Link can be found on our contact page. Keep on being exceptional, my humans, and have a wonderful weekend. <laughs>